another doc that is not a stranger to presenting for us, which we always pre appreciate, uh, Dr. Mohammed Allo. Uh, Dr. Allo grew up in Toledo, Ohio, attended St. John Jesuit High School, and then went on to complete an economics degree um, at the University of Toledo. He actually worked in politics, business, and networking first before he went on to medical school in Chicago at Midwestern uh, University's uh, Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, later moved back to Toledo to practice medicine and take care of the community that he grew up in. Dr. Allo is a cardiologist uh, with Toledo Cardiology Consultants in Toledo, Ohio, and is a certified personal trainer. Um, and uh, he, he regularly speaks for our group on, I think, his true passion of fitness and weight loss. So we're, we're glad to have him back uh, to, to speak on it this morning. So thank you. All right. Is this live? Can you hear me? All right. So my name is Mohammed Al, like Tim said. Um, I'm a board-certified cardiologist um, and a certified personal trainer. And today, hopefully, we're talking about weight loss, and we're going to try to make it fun and exciting um, because, obviously, the last talk was a little sad. Hopefully, none of us end up with brain tumors require that, but if anybody does, obviously we can uh, go to Cleveland Clinic. Um, so this is how you can connect with me. I'm pretty much available on anything. If you have questions, you can ask for my cell phone if you want even too. But you can find me on pretty much every uh, social media type thing. Um, plus I'll give you my email afterwards. Um, so these are some of my people I've helped. Um, Anurag, Mo, and Melissa. Anurag Tandon is from Chicago. He was a businessman. He was about 275 pounds, five foot 10. He was running six miles a day and eating like 800, 900 calories a day. He's not losing any kind of weight whatsoever. There's something called metabolic adaptation where your body adapts to that and then you can't really lose a lot of weight. And we can, we'll talk about how to get rid of that. Um, Melissa had like three kids. She was up like 80 pounds, um, was trying like some kind of keto thing and it just, just definitely was not working. So eventually we got on something that's like super sustainable and uh, more permanent so you can lose weight um, in a way that you can keep doing forever. Um, this is Mo Idlibi. He's an uh, attorney from Dallas, Texas. He lost over 100 pounds. Almost all of them lost. He lost 110, uh, 106, uh, about 80, 81. Um, but he was doing some keto advanced thing. You know, they always keep coming up with this new stuff, some keto forward or keto advanced or some other thing. He'd keep losing and gaining the same 10, 15 pounds over and over and over again. Probably something we've all done. And eventually he came to me super frustrated and was like, hey, what do I do? Um, so anyways, he ended up losing about 102, 106 pounds. So I want you guys to do an experiment. Go to a bookstore or a library, grab five random weight loss books. Just grab them off the shelf, buy them, sit down, and write down on a piece of paper all the things that you're allowed to eat after you read those five books. All right, I've done this before. You know, there's Barnes and Noble, just go over there. This is what you end up with. If you grab a book that says don't eat carbs, a book that says stop drinking alcohol, a book that says don't eat protein, a book that says vegan, a book that says no fat, whatever. This is what you can eat. This is what diet culture and like all these diet books. If you go grab five random books, and I've done this, and it can be any five random books. Just grab, all it takes is five books. Grab five books from any bookstore, uh, any library that have anything to do with weight loss, and write down after you read them what you're allowed to eat. This is what you'll come up with. Nothing. Maybe, maybe the little guy down here. Um, but anyways, so 
I'm super passionate about this. I've been teaching weight loss since probably like 2004. My first weight loss book that I ever published was 2004. It was called The Aloe Diet. Um, we'll talk about that later. But um, I've been doing this a really, really long time. I love coaching sports and teaching sports and playing sports. This is my youngest daughter. Um, been on a lot of shows kind of, you know, all over the place. These are my two cute daughters. Um, you know, the, the thing with weight loss is like it's the current pandemic or epidemic or endemic, whatever you want to call it. Everybody is overweight, um, including physicians, obviously. Um, this picture really annoyed me. I would, took my son to work day. He's not 14. He's not this cute anymore. Um, but I took my kid to work day. And this is me over here. This is like 197 pounds. And I was the weight loss doctor going around the world, lecturing people on weight loss, teaching physicians how to teach their patients to lose weight properly. But here I was sitting at 197 pounds. Um, so the weight loss doctor kept losing to weight loss. All right. And that was very uh, annoying and frustrating for me. So I ended up going on this really long journey and doing all kinds of stuff, researching everything from the beginning, becoming a certified personal trainer, taking tons of classes and books and all of that. And I ended up obviously losing a lot of weight. Um, this is at about 10% body fat. I did eventually, and I'm not saying anybody needs to do this. All right. This is not the ideal. Um, but it, I eventually got down to like 7%. I got down to 145 pounds, which is more than 50 pounds on a frame that's like, you know, five foot eight, maybe. Um, I have no disclosures at all. None of the companies or the medications that we do uh, eventually talk about pay me for anything. Um, Somebody Googled me last time and they're like, but you sell books. <laughs> okay, I do. Amazon does that. I have some weight loss books. I actually brought some of them with me. Um, I have a cookbook that's based on calories. If you need to eat 1,800 calories to lose weight, you flip to that chapter. Um, you eat those foods and it contains enough protein. It's heart healthy. It's like almost no saturated fat whatsoever. It gets enough protein. And we'll talk about why protein is so important. Um, but that's that. I brought a few of them. If you make a donation to the Northwest Ohio Osteopathic Association, I'll be happy to personalize it for you. I brought my fancy fountain pen too. Um, so this is what we're going to talk about, basically obesity and how to lose weight. Um, I know that a lot of us have tried losing weight. Has anybody here lost a significant amount of weight, like more than 50 pounds? How did you do it? I'm sorry for putting you on the spot. I'll repeat the things so that the, the, the people on Zoom can hear us. Exercising. How much total weight did you lose? She said she exercised, ran half marathons and road races. 57 pounds. How long did it take? Do you think it's going to be permanent? It took her two years, she said, 57 pounds. What's that? Okay, good. So that's the problem. All of us have lost a lot of weight. We don't have a weight loss problem in the United States. Everybody has lost weight. However, the problem is we put it all right back on because we've tried some crazy fad uh, diet. If you guys go on social media, what do people say about weight loss? Like if you have these fitness influencers or weight loss gurus, even doctors, the vast majority of weight loss books are published by doctors. 35% of all weight loss books are published by doctors. And we'll get into why that's a horrible idea. Um, but uh, one to 2% are published by you know, nutritionists, registered dietitians, people that are actually should be publishing books. What do, you, what do you guys hear on social media about weight loss? Just raise your hand, throw out the wildest, craziest thing you've ever read or heard. Everybody's asleep still? Huh? That it's all about willpower. Okay, that's a good one. 
So basically, if you're overweight, you're just lazy and stupid and have no willpower, right? Anybody else? And that's a huge one. That's very common. What else have you guys heard? Now, we want to try to wake everybody up a little bit today. I'm just going to start picking random people if you don't raise your hands. Fasting diets. So there's different kinds of fasting diets. There's ones where like you fast for two days and then eat whatever you want for five days. There's ones where you calorie restrict, but you eat from one to four. There's ones that are five, two, 18, six. There's all different kinds of intermittent fasting slash fasting type diets. We'll get into why those are or are not superior. Um, any, anything else? Vegan. The one Dr. Gokula talked about a vegan or vegetarian diet. They do reduce cardiovascular mortality, but the, the diet that has been shown to, to improve or reduce cardiovascular mortality the most is the Mediterranean diet, which does include lean meats. But definitely there's like this huge vegan. And the thing that's kind of annoying, it's not annoying, but it's like real, is that people, when they talk about their diets, it's like their religion. Like you are offending them. It's not like I, I was at this conference, sort of like this one's, and I was supposed to talk about weight loss. And they had a buffet in the back and people were getting food and the dessert table was over here. The line was super long and I, I didn't want to go wait in line 40 minutes to get a little bit of food and then quickly go up and talk. You know, everybody gets like a little bit of a nervous stomach, uh, even if you've been speaking for a long time. So I went to the dessert table and I grabbed, I don't remember, some cupcakes or some dessert. So I, mean, I started eating it. And this guy who I know, he's not being mean or anything, but he stands next to me. He's like, aren't you the weight loss speaker? Yes. He's like, well, why are you eating that? So like he saw what I was eating and it was cheesecake or dessert, whatever it is. And he's, he's basically applying moral value to food. Like this is completely unhealthy. You're the weight loss guy. How are you telling us to eat this garbage? And you are like the weight loss guy. I'm like, well, <laughs> we're going to talk about that, but there's nothing wrong with eating that. So I think part of this, and we'll get into it, is like this whole diet culture or even like diet trauma. Have you guys ever had a patient start crying in the room when you talk to them about weight loss? I, I mean, this happens to me like every day. I mean, you guys are family physicians. They shouldn't be coming to me. And I'm the only one that ever brought up weight loss to them. I mean, I've had so many patients are like, no, you're the first doctor. And they start bawling to ever tell me I need to lose weight. I mean, look at me. I'm 300 pounds. I obviously know I need to lose weight. But apparently it's an uncomfortable conversation, which it shouldn't be. Um, there are definitely ways where you can just bring it up. Like, do you smoke? No weight going up or down. Just make it like super objective without judgment. Um, just bring it up. And if you do it with everybody, every time you'll find different ways of doing it. Um, what else do people say about weight loss? So we're here to dispel all these myths. It's my genetics. That's a great one. It's If it's not their genetics, it's their kids or the pizza party or they had four kids or, you know, they're too busy at work. They fly across the country. They can't eat anything but fast food, kids in sports. That's an amazing one. He said, I can't afford to eat healthy. So you know what? You're actually saving money if you're eating less, but we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. Um, what else have you guys heard? So that pretty much does round up almost everything uh, that you eat. Another one that I hear a lot is, well, just eat 100 calories a day. <laughs> like, what? You're telling like a six foot four, 400 pound guy, or let's say 200 pound guy, to eat 100 calories a day? That's like what a five-year-old should be eating. That's insane, like literally insane. Um, so what do you guys tell your patients about weight loss now that you've said all the crazy stuff? Or maybe it's not even crazy. Maybe you think that's how it should be. What do you, if a patient, I'm your patient, I come up to you and I say, I need to lose weight. I'm 250 pounds. How can I get to 150? What would you say to me? 
Wegovy, okay, and we're getting into that. Semaglutide at a higher dose is called Wegovy. It's a weight loss uh, medication. But So you would put me on Wegovy just like that. Okay, so what would you say to me? Eat everything but in smaller portions. That definitely works. What else? I mean, obviously, most of these things will work. We'll get into that, too. So I'll repeat it. She said that she, she asks them what they eat, like takes a diet history almost, and then we find one thing, we tell them to try to eliminate it or get rid of it or reduce it, and he, he cut out pop. Um, that can work, definitely. What else? Yeah. Write it down. So make a log. That actually goes either with a tracking app or a piece of paper. If they log everything they eat, then they suddenly, it's like an education, like, oh, my God, did I, did I really just eat 5,000 calories today? That in and of itself is super eye-opening. And sometimes I don't even tell them to change anything. I'm like, don't change anything. Just track your calories and what you eat for a week. Um, and then they'll do that, and they'll be like, whoa, like, what did I just, oh my God, I didn't, I thought I ate 1200 calories. The funniest is like, I had this lady, her BMI was 77. Um, and she's like, I, I don't eat anything. I eat like a bird. I was like, oh, well, you know, you eat, let me see. She's, she's like, well, for breakfast, I had four pancakes with maple syrup, toast, some butter, a glass of orange juice and two eggs. <laughs> like, that's already like way, like that's way more than, that's like 15,000 birds. I mean, that's like way more than anybody should eat for just one meal all by itself. And then like, obviously, I didn't even go past that. I don't even want to know what she eats for dinner or lunch or snacks. That already is like an incredible amount uh, of calories. What else have you guys, what, what else do you guys tell your patients? Stay away from foods processed with growth, growth hormones like meats or... So he's talking that they, I'm just repeating this for the Zoom people. They give growth hormones to cows so they get bigger and they can sell them better. They make juicier steaks. All right. So you tell them to cut that out. Then you'll grow. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. But that's definitely some things that people will say. Like I used to tell my patients, don't eat after 7 p.m., drink a bunch of water, don't eat bread, pasta, rice. Anybody ever tell your patients, don't eat carbs? I mean, that's like a really common, oh, just don't eat carbs ever again. You'll lose a bunch of weight. That hasn't turned out to actually be true. It can work. Um, but the point is doctors really don't know anything about weight loss. All right. There's nobody. None of us studied this in school. It was not taught in our curriculums unless you went out of your way. Oh, and there's another one. Unless you went out of your way to study weight loss or nutrition, we really don't know. Um, oh, another one. Um, lots of studies have shown that there's a huge deficiency in our education on nutrition and weight loss. Like a lot of people don't even know, like, at least when I was a, a resident, like, you know, protein, fat, macronutrient, micronutrient, like what are all these things? And the worst part about it is this is circulation. This is our, my cardiology journal. They're talking about how to educate cardiology fellows. Like, you know, the next generation of cardiology fellows, what should we teach them? Stress testing, echocardiograms. The entire document, there's not a single mention of weight loss. And being larger, you know, BMI over 30 increases cardiovascular mortality. That's why the BMI cutoff is kind of 30, because that's where mortality starts to go up. So in this, where we're supposed to teach 
fellows, how to be cardiologists, there's no mention of anything having to do with obesity. The number one killer and the number one risk factor that was modifiable in the U.S. is smoking. 20 times increase in uh, your cardiovascular risk with smoking. Nobody really smokes anymore. Like 19% of the population smokes now. Huge percentage of population, like 82, 84% is overweight. So this is now the number one uh, risk factor that's modifiable. Um, this is something in the annals of family medicine. This is what I wish my doctor really knew. The voices of patients with obesity, worth a read. Um, it kind of talks about like all of the things that obese patients have been told over the years and why they have like diet trauma and confusing messaging and signaling and why we're just sent, you know, confusing the heck out of our patients and they don't know, and they don't, you don't know what it's like. Um, this is something I talk about uh, a lot. Like what is the goal of a healthy diet? And I don't even like to call it diet because that means it's temporary. The word diet usually to most people are like, oh, I'm going on a diet. That means like in a month, they're not going to be on diet. Diet just means what you actually put in your mouth, right? Um, so diet culture is very toxic. And this starts at a very young age. Kids five years old, it's a little pudgy, like, oh, are you really going to eat that? Why are you feeding your kids ice cream? You know, why, why aren't you guys going on a walk? Why is your kid just playing video games? Like this is like this whole uh, toxic mentality. A lot of it has to do with now social media on Instagram. It's like, got to look like this or you got to look like that. And it's super traumatizing to uh, younger children. Um, one thing I always preach is food freedom. What is the point of a diet if you don't get to eat what you like? I mean, all these people are like, well, you got to eat. Like, <laughs> my patients, you know, like, all you got to eat is kale and quinoa for the rest of your life. Okay, what happens after a month when you're sick of kale and quinoa? Or what if you hate kale and quinoa and you love actually like, I don't know, something else, pasta? Um, the other problem is extreme dieting. Everybody wants to go on some extreme diet. A, a friend of mine's like Dr. Allo. He comes up to me, we were playing uh, basketball. And he comes up to me, he's like, hey, I need to lose. Uh, he's like, he's like, oh, this is what he says. He goes, I'm getting married next week. I'm like, oh, cool. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, he's going to invite me to his wedding. I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, next week he's getting married. Pretty cool. He's like, I need to lose 30 pounds. I'm like, what? You want to lose 30 pounds in a week? I was like, well, I got, I know how we can do that. I was like, I'm over my house. We'll put you to sleep. We'll cut off your leg. That's about 30 pounds. You know, there's really no way to lose 30 pounds overnight. And you really shouldn't because we'll get into the studies. First of all, you lose a lot of lean body mass. You lose muscle. Second of all, it's, you put it right back on. A lot of people are losing the same 30 pounds over and over again for 30 years. Um, you don't want to be doing that. Next thing I always talk about is get, building a good relationship with food. You need to view food as a tool. All of the food you eat breaks down into some form of a mono. Uh, monosaccharide or a disaccharide or protein or fat or some little tiny molecules, regardless of what it looks like when you put it on your plate. The cheesecake and the pizza and the kale and quinoa, all this stuff eventually breaks down into little tiny molecules, whether it's amino acids or monosaccharides or disaccharides. Did this stop working? All of that breaks down into basically the same stuff. So it doesn't matter if you need, if you're looking at like, you know, I need a little bit more carbs and fat today a donut is a really good option, right? Stop being afraid of actual unhealthy food. I don't like to label food as either good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. You have to label foods as what they are. Um, and we'll get into this a little bit more and why the science and data supports that. We're gonna go through a lot of studies, so don't freak out if you think I'm crazy. Um, but food is not good or bad. And this is a problem that we teach kids, like ice cream is so horrific. Like it's the worst thing ever. And it causes a lot of diet trauma because like if you're going to go to a birthday party, 
you're afraid of food. Like, oh my God, you know, there's a birthday party. It's just going to be pizza and ice cream and pop. Like, what am I going to do? This is horrible. I'm not going to go. Oh, I'm not going to take my kids. And like, you just start going, like you're at, you're always at war with food and your diet and you don't know what to do and how to deal with these situations. That's why food freedom um, is super important. The more restrictive and rigid your diet is, <laughs> like, uh, like, you know, I, I had a patient one time, uh, he was, you know, he comes in, he's like, Dr. Allen, I'm starting this new diet. I'm like, what's it called? He's like, I don't know, but here, and he gives me this paper. It's like, wake up in the morning at 6 a.m., take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, go back to sleep, wait two hours, drink lemon and mint in a slushy, then have like a bowl of Cheerios, and then do this, and then don't eat after seven, but then eat this, and then you can't eat that with that, and then you have can't eat tomatoes because they're inflammatory, and you can't do this. It's a rule, it's like 40 rules. I'm like, John, can you actually do this? <laughs> I mean, it may work. It's not necessary, but if you, some people need like some rigid and structure in their life, that may work. There are way easier options, but the more rules and the more rigid the diets are, first of all, it causes eating disorders, and I'll show you that study. But second of all, uh, you, it's not necessary. You do not need to follow a thousand rules just to like lose weight. You could, you don't need to do that at all. Um, the last part that is really horrible is people, I'm sure you've had people do this. How many of you are like, you know what? Uh, I ate too much last night. Tomorrow morning, I'm just going to starve myself. You know, you're using food as a punishment. Or like, you know, I ate, I ate a whole pizza yesterday. I'm going to go to the gym and do legs. I'm just going to destroy my legs. Use exercise as a punishment. I'm going to go run, run seven miles because, you know, I ate too much yesterday. That's all like this negative, super traumatic, insane uh, mindset around food We're, or, or exercise. We're using food and exercise to either reward ourselves or punish ourselves is completely uh, unnecessary. You mess up one day, look, you got another 40 years to go. I don't know how long you're going to live, but one day out of 40 years is not going to throw you off. So these are just some kind of like basic uh, ground rules. Anybody know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? So I had a friend of mine who's a doctor. His name is John. I'm going to use John for everybody, but his name is John. He comes up to me, he's like, Dr. Al, I figured it out. I was like, what? He's like, I'm going to lose weight. How are you going to lose weight? He's like, oh, I read this book, The Obesity Code, Dr. Jason Fung. He's this nephrologist from Canada. He wrote this book. And all you got to do is not ever eat, but from one to five, you can eat. And like, he has all these studies and all this stuff. It was such a good book. I'm going to do, I'm going to lose a ton of weight. His confidence was up here. You know, he read one book or watched a Netflix documentary, whatever it is, read one single study. You know, we all have those doctors like, I read this one study. It shows that you can actually eat saturated fat and you'll never die. Like, okay. One study out of 10,000, you know, real good. Um, but his confidence is way up here. Thinks he's got it all figured out and it's going to be like amazing. He's going to lose a ton of weight by doing this one thing. And he's like an expert now in Dr. Jason Fung's obesity code, right? Start reading a little more. You start learning a little more and you realize that you actually don't know that much. Like I always tell people, you need to look at the totality of evidence. Yes, you can find one study that shows you that uh, sitting on a chair is for two hours a day is worse than smoking 15 cigarettes. Some idiot did publish a study like that. That does not mean that the totality of evidence says you should not sit in chairs, but you should smoke 15 cigarettes a day. Like whatever conclusion, you can cherry pick data and support any study. If you go buy those five books from Barnes and Nobles, and one of them is about intermittent fasting, one of them is about keto, one of them is about whatever, they all have studies that show it worked. Atkins back in 1999 or whatever it was, there are studies that show your cholesterol goes down if you eat an Atkins-style diet. 
we now know that it's actually from the weight loss alone, regardless of what you eat, if you lose weight, your cholesterol is going to improve. doesn't matter if it's keto, if it's intermittent fasting, if it's jelly donuts, Twinkies, whatever, which we'll get into the Twinkie diet. But all of that causes weight loss. If it does cause weight loss, your numbers, including inflammation, all go down. So that's so why I always tell people like, look, it's not just like one thing. You need to be like a lifelong learner. I always tell my students and residents, we are lifelong teachers and lifelong students. You're always teaching your staff. Even if you don't have students, you're teaching your staff, you're teaching other doctors, the notes you send back to the primary doctors, or in your case, to me, you're always like saying something useful. Like, you know, don't start lisinopril because maybe this, you know, kidney reasons, whatever. Um, that's why. So, you know, just make sure like if you're coming up with a conclusion or a solution that it is like based on the totality of evidence and not just a handful of studies. So if you don't lose the weight correctly, you're going to be losing the same 30 pounds for 30 years. How many people have seen those patients or have done it themselves? I know I did for a long time. Lots of people raise their hands. I mean, you don't have to raise your hands. I'm sorry. It's kind of embarrassing. But a lot of us, and including most of our patients, will be losing. I had this guy do something called the skinny switch. I was like, what's the skinny switch? He's like, well, it's this diet. And he explains to me he lost 15 pounds. But next time he came back, he was up 30. I mean, like you have to pick something that's sustainable, that's simple, um, that's very doable. So what is the secret to weight loss? That's exactly right. And that's the point I was trying to make. There isn't one is what she said. All my patients want the secret to weight loss. They want that magic pill. They come up to me like, Dr. Al, I saw this thing called Golo diet. You buy these pills and you go low, whatever that part means. It's these pills cause release and you just take them and you lose a bunch of weight. So I looked up release and it has literally nothing in it that would ever cause weight loss. Um, did I knock this off? Nothing in there actually causes weight loss. We'll get in. I, I keep telling my patients, like, look, if it actually worked, it would be the next billion dollar drug. Um, just like most of these like things that, you know, eventually like, like Viper venom, you guys know what medication comes from Viper venom? Huh? Lysinopril, ACE inhibitors. Do you know what sweet clover? It's Coumadin. Oil of wintergreen or like the bark of a willow tree. Aspirin, red yeast rice, lovastatin. I mean, all these things, if they actually work, uh, Vasipa is EPA, the half of fish oil that actually works. Um, all of these things, if they actually worked and multiple studies show that it works, comes like the next billion dollar drug because now we can control it. Supplements are not controlled. They did a study where they went to, uh, it was about 10 years ago. They went to like vitamin shop, Walgreens, Walmart, Rite Aid, all these places picked random supplements and vitamins and tested them. 95% of them did not contain what the bottle said it contained. There's literally no oversight. It's a food. It's not an actual medication. There isn't, they do not contain what they say they contain unless they are third-party tested. So I will throw that in there. Um, so we actually want to lose fat, not weight, right? If you go on a severe extreme diet, you will lose muscle. We don't want to lose muscle. That's super easy to lose muscle. And you lose a lot of weight a lot faster. We want to only lose fat. And we'll get into how to do that. These are me and my kids are a little bit younger here. You start them off on uh, good behaviors or, you know, good habits when they're younger. Hopefully that'll like carry through and they can, you know, that. So the scope of obesity is huge. And I mean that it's a pun and I literally mean it. It is huge. 84% of people are overweight. 26% of adults are obese. Children are overweight now and it just keeps getting worse. I'm not going to bore you with the details. Um, oh, back this way. Oops, wrong slide. But anyways, what percentage of doctors are overweight? How much? Same as the regular? Close. Anybody have another guess? 
So here we said 84% of adults obese, 26%. According to a 2007 study, this is seven. This is like a long time ago. It's probably worse now, but 40% of doctors and 23% were obese, 40% overweight, 20 some odd percent obese. It's probably much worse now. This is the only thing I could find in so long ago. Add like, it's been like more than 10 years now. It's probably worse. Um, you guys have seen these. Obesity just keeps going up. I'm not going to bore you with these. Um, the super obese or like extreme obese rates have stayed about the same, but just obesity in general has gone up. Um, overweight has stayed also stable. Um, youth are getting more overweight as well as adults. Um, gym memberships have gone up. You know, even despite gym memberships going up and most people having a gym membership, obesity rates are still uh, going up. This is more about gym memberships. At any given time, 44% of women and 29% of men are dieting. Um, the cost of obesity, I'm not going to bore you with these, but it's just ridiculously insane. And this is really old data. This is from 2001 or 12. You know, a lot of it is older, but it's huge. The complications of the obesity are everything. It literally improves. Worse, it actually worsens every medical condition known to humanity, um, including multiple cancers. Um, so obesity is not just like, oh, it's a metabolic disease. No, it's also cancer. It's like, you know, the guy that was talking earlier about the brain cancer. A lot of this stuff uh, happens from obesity. There are complications that no one ever talks about, like the two-day stress test. We, I can't do a stress test on somebody over 250 pounds unless it's two days. That requires more resources, not fitting in a CT scanner, you know, not fitting in an airplane, not being able to dose medications properly, can't be intubated properly, can't use certain masks whatever it is, BiPAP, you know, doesn't fit right or whatever. All of these are complications of obesity that we don't think of as complications. Um, so these are the actual studies. Like everyone says, well, 95% of diets fail. Well, you know, and then people argue, well, that's not true. You know, that was an old study or it wasn't anything. Well, here are the studies that show these. 50, 70% of weight, weight regain in the first year, 85% two years, 95% three years, 33 to 66% will add back more weight than they lost. So, like I said, we don't have a weight loss problem. We have a weight regain problem. But we do want to end up part of the 5% of people that lose the weight and do not put it back on. Um, so is this it? Just eat less, move more. How many of you guys have told your patients just eat less and move more? I would hope everybody, right? I mean, you can raise your hands. I've done I do it every day. So yeah, you should eat less and move more, but it's way more complicated than that because literally everybody says that they've tried to do that, but if they don't have the right tools, the right resources, the right mindset, you know, the right support from you or medications or staff, it's kind of hard to do. Otherwise, we would not have anybody being overweight, but literally everyone is overweight. Um, so metabolic ward studies, do you guys know what these are? They put you in jail, basically, like we trap you in a, in a hospital floor. You drink something called doubly labeled water. And we can measure your BMR, calorie in, calories out, total daily energy expenditure, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and uh, exercise activity thermogenesis. These are the best kind of studies for any kind of like dietary changes or weight loss. The problem is they're expensive. You have to put these people in jail, six to 12 weeks, not really jail, but they're in a metabolic ward, which is basically a jail. You feed them exactly what you want, and you measure their uh, urine for this doubly labeled water to see... Uh, how much they burned, how much they use, what's left over, did making these dietary changes matter? Um, so these are the best studies. They're just super expensive. We don't always do them, um, but there are some really, really good ones that have been done. So what's more important in determining your body composition, diet or exercise? 
Anybody say diet, raise your hand. Exercise. So the dieters win, all right? And it's true. 97% is diet. So where do we get this number? Like 95 to 97% of your body composition is diet. Exercise helps with some things, which we'll get into, but not, not a lot when it comes to just weight loss. Um, this is just one study, but there's like, I'm going to go through a bunch of them. The group that calorie restricted only lost slightly more weight than the group that added exercise. And all the studies that I'm going to show, there's no additional benefit to exercise when it comes to just weight loss. As the cardiologist, don't tell your friends that I said cardio isn't going to cause weight loss. We'll get into those studies too, but very low calorie diets obviously did the most uh, reduction. So there's four different exercise modalities. This is the certified personal trainer part of me talking. Um, we're mainly going to focus on the first two, endurance and strength, balance and flexibility um, doesn't contribute a lot to what we're talking about today. So next is we're going to go through the studies that show like how much added benefit when it comes to weight loss does exercise add. And in most of these studies, it's not a lot or none. Um, so the first one here shows that after three months, this is a long study, after three months, exercise had very little impact on weight loss. Another study at the conclusion of 12 weeks, the aerobic group lost 3.7 uh, kilograms. Um, and, and the aerobics plus resistance lost 3.8, uh, which although statistically significant, is less than the nine pounds. So even after a very long period of time, they really didn't lose a lot of weight. Um, at the conclusion of the study, this is 16 months, uh, at the conclusion of the study, the men in the exercise group had lost 5.2 kilograms, uh, while the women lost almost nothing. Um, a meta-analysis found that the mean weight loss from, of men who completed 30 weeks of exercise was a measly 2.6 kilograms. Women compared similarly about three. This is a 14-week study. Another one, no significant improvements were seen for the dietary supplements and exercise. So people ask, what about dietary supplements? Oh, can we buy these? You guys ever, are you guys on TikTok at all? Or Snapchat, any of that stuff? So on TikTok, they had like these TikTok snaps. Like, oh, you just pop this thing, put it in your water and drink it, and you lose 40 pounds. It's a multi-level marketing scheme. And all of these people that are selling this are actually like morbidly obese. Um, but They've studied almost all the dietary supplements and none of them have actually contributed to weight loss because like I said, if it worked, it would be a medication that we can prescribe and we'll get into those medications. Um, so exercise has been shown, however, to help you not gain weight back that you've already lost. So this study shows that exercise decreased the rate of regain early in relapse and lowered the defended body weight. Your body likes to defend its weight. If you're 160 pounds, your body wants to keep you at 160 pounds, that was like the set point that somebody mentioned on the other talks. Um, it will also help keep you from gaining the weight back. Um, so because it doesn't cause weight loss, this study came out saying, well, you know what? Let's just focus on other things. Your, you know, your inflammatory markers go down, your cholesterol goes down, your systolic blood pressure goes down, your insulin resistance improves. All this other stuff matters and improves, even though your body weight really doesn't change a whole lot. Um, I'm going to skip through some of these. Even in the studies that showed that exercise plus diet worked, it was a very small amount of weight loss over two years. This is one of the better studies. It was a two-year study, very minimal uh, amount of weight loss. Let me just skip through. And this is just a, a repeat again. So this is total daily energy expenditure. And this is what makes up your total daily energy expenditure. This is how many calories you need to live a day. Um, for the vast majority of men, it's between 2,500 and 3,000. For women, it's 2,000 to 2,500. Um, this is what makes it up. Your basic metabolic rate is if you laid in bed all day just to keep the lights on, 
is 70, this is your basic metabolic rate. That's what that is. If you just lay in bed all day, did absolutely nothing, that's what your BMR is. Non-exercise activity thermogenesis is 15% of your total daily exercise is you fidgeting, walking around, the amount of steps you take in a day, you're doing this, you're doing that. Your body uses this as a buffer for a lot of things, and we'll be talking about NEAT a lot. Um, thermic effect of food, this is your body using calories to burn the food that you ate or use it or break it down or whatever it is, about 10%. 5% is exercise activity thermogenesis. This is you doing purposeful exercise. This is you going to the gym, getting on the bike, uh, hiking, whatever it is. Very small amount, 5%. Um, this is about how many calories you would burn. If you're 220 pounds and you did aerobic dance, you'd burn about 600 calories. So we're using a normal person. If they did a little bit of strength training, a little bit of walking, this is how many calories they burn in a week. It still doesn't add up to the 3,500 calories that we need to lose one pound per week. It is very, very difficult to manually burn off calories. Plus a lot of patients like our patients are like, I can barely get out of a chair. I can't even walk to the bathroom. How do you expect me to lose weight? I'm like, okay, hold on. You don't have to get, do any of that stuff. Just cut down your calories. We have a lot of other things we can do. You don't have to actually do any of that to lose weight. So that's not an excuse either. So this is what we think happens with exercise or what we used to think. We used to think that this is your total daily energy expenditure. Here's exercise. The more exercise you do, the more calories you burn, right? Does anybody think that's accurate? So like if I get on a treadmill and I do an hour and I burn 200 calories and I do that for all 24 hours, will I burn 24 times 200 calories? Then I would be like going, I would be like losing weight as we speak. It's like, you know, I'd, be, I'd lose like a hundred pounds, right? Is this, is this accurate? It's not. We now know, and there's multiple studies that show that physical activity is capped. The amount of calories you can burn from physical activity is capped. Your body will take away from your NEAT to make up for that. So the total amount of calories you can burn in a day from activity is capped. So regardless that this is maybe that 5%, you cannot go over 5% of your total daily energy. So stop trying to run off calories. Running and all that is definitely good for you. And we'll get into that, but you're not going to run off uh, enough calories to cause weight loss because your body also adapts to that. And we'll get into it. Uh, and this is just the study that has shown that, um, People who are overweight, and a lot of times, well, you tell the patients, well, well, well eat, stop eating when you're full or don't eat unless you're hungry. Unfortunately, if you're pretty overweight, you have horrible appetite signaling here. It's called dys dysregulated appetite, where you, can, you don't know when you're hungry. You don't know when you're full. That's why these people just keep eating. Um, the good news is physical activity can help that. If they start doing some kind of activity, it starts kind of re-regulating their appetite. Um, so the body adapts to exercise to the point where you're burning very few calories. They've actually done studies where people wear the mask and they measure their, you know, CO2, how many calories they burn. They put them on a treadmill. They do three miles, three miles, three miles. The first day they do it, they burn 250 calories. The next day it's 220. The next day it's 180. Your body adapts to the same stimulus over and over again. It gets very efficient at burning less and less calories. Plus your more cardiovascular endurance improves. So you burn less and less calories as you do it. Now it doesn't ever go to zero. You will burn uh, calories still, but your body adapts to the same thing over and over again, over and over again. You have friends that are like, hey, I started this new thing. I lost 30 pounds. Okay, what's the new thing? It could be anything. It could be a diet, but mostly it's usually exercise. I started hiking. I'm training for a marathon. I started doing this. I lost 10 pounds in the first few months. All of the long-term studies done on exercise show that within, if it's a new stimulus for you, within the first few months, you will actually lose weight. And people are like, oh, it must be the exercise. I started running. I started walking after lunch. I started going on hikes. You know, I started weightlifting, whatever it is. 
the first three months, yes, you'll definitely lose weight. But as time goes on, that you put, they all put the weight back on uh, and there's no further uh, weight loss. So the amount of exercise you'd have to do is time prohibitive usually, and it's very difficult to burn a lot of uh, enough calories to consistently. Like, like, like are you going to run six miles a day for the rest of your life? You can create a calorie deficit with exercise. Absolutely. If you eat 2,000 calories a day and you run off 500 of them, you're at 1,500, you will lose weight. Absolutely. No question about it. Can you do that till you're 70 or 80 or 90 or 100? You're going to keep depending on exercise for a calorie deficit? It's possible, but it's very, very difficult to maintain. Like a lot of people are like, well, I started running. Good. How long are you going to do that for? So pick something you enjoy that isn't torture or horrible or a punishment for you and do that. So like I said, exercise is great for keeping weight off. Um, eating less is obviously the best way to create a calorie deficit because it's like, free and it takes no time. Instead of putting two eggs in your mouth, put one, um, but we'll get into that. Exercise can increase or suppress appetite depending on uh, the person. Um, it does lower cardiovascular mortality. Obviously, you know, doing cardio improves cardiovascular mortality and the cardiologist likes that. Um, exercise alone is ineffective for weight loss. Um, it obviously improves everything. I mean, we've, you guys all know this, it improves diabetes, systolic blood pressure, insulin resistance, you know, all that stuff. I am not saying don't exercise. Do not go home and say, the cardiologist said, don't ever exercise. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't tell your patients or yourselves that you're going to run off all your calories and lose weight. The Journal of American College of Cardiology, this was in 2014. This is the first time we showed a dose response to exercise. If you exercise a little bit, uh, you decrease mortality by 45%. If you do it every day, it goes up to 50 and it reduces actually even all cause mortality. The chance of you getting hit by a truck as you step out of here also goes down uh, by 29% if you do some kind of uh, exercise. Why? I don't know. Maybe you're more aware, your proprioception. I have no idea what it, why, but it definitely does do that. It's a lot of things. Um, we talk about fitness versus fatness. So a lot of people say, well, I can be healthy at any weight. Sure. In short-term studies, they've, they took people who are overweight and compared them to their leaner counterparts. They had them exercise, and all of their cardiovascular and like uh, health markers did improve and match. Their mortality matched their leaner counterparts. The problem is you can't do that uh, forever. BMI cutoff is at 30 for a reason. Long-term exposure to obesity is what causes atherosclerosis and inflammation and all this stuff. A lot of people are like, so, so I'm sure you guys have seen these people on social media, like you just have to reduce the inflammation, right? It's all the inflammation. It's not heart disease. It's the inflammation. Well, sure. Like what causes inflammation? You guys know what the top three causes of inflammation are? Assuming you don't have any rheumatological or autoimmune disease. Number one is obesity. Number two is obesity. Number three is obesity. Number four is obesity. All of them. If you reduce weight, and we'll get into those studies, if your weight comes down, all your inflammatory markers come down. Some people are like, well, you know, you got to reduce inflammation. You got to check CRP and you got to do, okay, how do you reduce inflammation? Well, just take some turmeric. <laughs> uh, if that was true, we would be putting everybody on turmeric, but it's not. Um, you have to reduce your weight. So we'll skip this one because it's basically the same thing. So cardio versus weights, we'll get into that. Um, the re resistance training, the difference, the, the, the basic difference, if you want the summary, is resistance training like lifting weights adds muscle. Muscle increases your BMR. 
if you you want if the more lean body mass you have, the more mass, even if it's just fat, your BMR is higher. Like if you're 400 pounds, your BMR is up here compared to a 150 pound person. But if you're a 150 pound person that's more muscular rather than 150 pound person that has more fat, your BMR is higher. So the one way to raise your BMR is to actually lift weights. The cardio helps with the cardio stuff. Pretty much the same thing. It does also uh, improve bone mineral density when you lift weights and you're, you won't lose as much lean body mass. You actually put on lean body mass. Um, the weight change in all of these groups, the control group, none. But if you did aerobic versus resistance versus both together, it's about the same. Uh, so definitely try to do uh, both. We'll skip this, not that important. This is probably for more for cardiologists. So here's the problem. Too much cardio can increase cardiovascular mortality, right? They've taken extreme runners, and I'm not talking about you guys, but like these extreme marathon runners. They have more atrial fibrillation, their calcium artery coronary scores are higher, and they have a higher, 27 times higher, uh, is it 27? 27 times higher mortality um, than non- and their equivalent counterparts that don't run excessively. So excessive cardio is also, this is from Mayo Clinic Proceedings, is also not good for you. Um, there's another study that shows basically the same thing. Bone loss obviously is a huge problem for females, but weightlifting helps that. Um, weightlifting is also anti-aging. You know, you can read through these. I don't know. We're not. We're, if you lose weight slower, the slower you lose the weight, the less likely you are to lose lean body mass. So we want to lose weight as slowly as possible, but not so imperceptible that you lose interest or think it's not working. Um, and this is also similar things with like, you know, lean body mass, bone mineral density, et cetera, body fat, you know, body fat percentage. So there's two kinds of exercise. We kind of went over this. Um, if you run on a treadmill, a 200 pound person running on a treadmill for two minutes straight, uh, burns 300 calories. If they skip a plain bagel with cheese, it's about the same thing. Weightlifting, also can burn about that much. It's a lot, it's thought to be a lot less now though. It's hard to measure that one. Um, so this is kind of a summary on weight loss or exercise. I mean, basically you want to increase your BMR by lifting weights, do some cardio for your heart and your other metabolic diseases. As the weight comes off though, all this stuff will improve. Um, the nice thing about weight training is it also improves like quality of life. Imagine if a, your patients can't even get out of their chair. How many of you have elderly patients that can't even get out of their chair? Well, try to get out of the chair, just get out once, then twice, then three times, kind of like doing a squat almost. But get them to keep doing that because it improves their quality. You can't get out of a chair to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's horrible. Um, or they eat so few calories that they're like so frail and thin and, and they can't do anything because they have no muscle mass. Um, so this is what happens when you do diet and cardio only. Yeah, you do look, you lose weight, but you have like no muscle, you, you know, your, your body fat goes down and muscle mass. If you diet and do weights, it kind of looks a lot better. Not that I'm trying to tell people how to look. I do not do that. You can tell me I want bigger arms or less this or less that, fine. I'm not trying to tell you what you should look like ideally. You can do whatever you want. Most of my patients just want to lose a few pounds. They don't really care what they look like. Um, and this is the same thing, you know, 150 pounds at 35% body fat or 150 pounds at 20% body fat. A lot of it has to do with like, what are you actually, what exercise modalities are you doing and how much you're eating or not eating. Um, exercise prescription, usually we tell people to start with a little bit of how old they are. If they're old and they can barely do anything, you probably want them to not do that much. Get up and try to walk around the house for two minutes, do that 10 times a day, as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to go run a marathon. Like most of our patients probably can't do that. But we just want them to slowly um, adapt over time. Um, the, lower, the lower the intensity of the exercise, like if you're on a treadmill going two miles an hour, 
the more you are using fat uh, versus glycogen, stored glycogen or carbohydrates, um, the more intense your workout, like if you're like, you know, doing a HIIT workout and you're going crazy, um, more of your energy that is being used in that workout does come from glycogen or carbs. And the longer you do it, same thing, the longer, the more time you spend doing it, you know, you get, you're using more fat than carbs. Instant sprint, you're using your anaerobics, um, but definitely more carbs. So is it just Kiko? You guys know what Kiko is? Calories in, calories out. So like we said, 97, 95% can be achieved with diet alone. Exercise is good for all the other stuff, but it's not usually good, good enough to cause weight loss. So the problem is, what do doctors say? We tell patients diet and exercise, right? What do patients think? Like, I can't exercise. I don't have time for exercise. How many of you exercise? Anybody here exercise at least once a week? Wait, anybody not have time for it? Some people. So the problem is we tell patients the only way to lose weight is diet and exercise. What do they think? Oh, I have no time for diet. All right, I have no time for exercise, so I really can't lose weight. You give them like a built-in excuse to think they can never actually lose weight. So every doctor, you know, patient comes in, sitting there in front of you like, hey, don't forget diet and exercise. And they're like, okay, diet and exercise, I have so much time. And they think they cannot ever lose weight because they have no time, don't feel like making the time. Uh, to exercise. Now, everybody has their excuses, but this is like one built-in excuse. I don't have time to exercise. No way possible that I could ever lose weight, which is false, obviously. Um, so is it calories in or calories out? So if you've seen all the exercise studies so far, we haven't even gotten into the diet ones. It's actually just calories in. You really can't change calories out. Even if I put you on a treadmill and make you run 18 hours a day, like we showed that model, the amount of calories you can burn is capped. It's still three to 5% of your total daily energy expenditure. So calories out is nearly impossible to affect that much. There's no way I can run 30 hours a day, obviously, but there's no way I can run 30 hours in a row and burn 10,000 calories. It's just not even uh, a possibility. So it's still three to 5% of your total daily energy expenditure and it's capped. The constraint model of exercise is what has actually been proven now and the out part needs to be taken out. There's almost no way uh, to affect that significantly. Um, but the in part, you can. Um, the case for more muscle, it, I don't know if any of you guys work in the ICU, it actually reduces length of stay in the ICU. The leaner and more muscular a person is, the more reserve they have. They actually do uh, a lot better. Um, conclusions for cardiovascular risk, obesity and elevated BMI increase all inflammatory markers and CV risk factors, and we'll get into those studies. Um, calorie deficit and weight loss improve everything. Macronutrient breakdown makes no difference, and we'll get into those studies. And leaner individuals have less CV risk. Um, calories out, like I said, it's very, very difficult to change. I'm not going to read this to you. You can read it later. Body recomposition. Do you guys know what this is? These are people that can lose fat and gain muscle at the same time while in a calorie deficit. Calorie deficit means like you're not eating enough. Sure, you can gain muscle if you're eating more, um, but it's hard to do both of these together while eating less than you need. These are the four groups of people that can. Obviously, if you take anabolic steroids, it works. Um, but if you're pretty obese and you're in a calorie deficit and you're losing weight, you can build muscle and lose fat at the same time. People who've never lifted weights and people who used to lift weights but and are back at it. Um, so let's talk diet. I'm not going to bore you, but you guys, I'm sure you've seen these, all the uh, diet things. 
um, that we've had over the years. These are all the basic diets that we have, all right? You guys listed all them when we talked earlier. These are your diets. You have elimination diets. They're like a big thing now. Oh my God, TB12. And, you know, you know, TB12 is a hilarious one. If you've never read Tom Brady's book, I saw you were watching Tom Brady earlier today on the, are they winning by the way? <laughs> Still tied? Right. Zero, zero. This is the one in Germany, right? Anyways, Tom Brady's diet and this lady, Whole30, um, these elimination diets, you know, it might help you find out if you're sensitive to something, but it's not like a weight loss diet. But sure, if you take out 90% of what you normally eat, you will probably lose weight. And all of these diets cause weight loss for some time until you either get sick of it, can't stand it, want to go back to eating carbs, can't eat from, you know, one to four every day, you know, can't figure out all this stuff. The more complicated and rigid a diet is, the way more difficult it is. Um, so here's all these common diets and here's how they work. Uh, low carb, calorie deficit, ketogenic, calorie deficit, low fat, ketogenic, calorie deficit. All of them create a calorie deficit. Um, somehow, some way, you have to consume less. The calories in part has to be lower. Um, it's more nuanced than that, which is what we're getting into. Um, you have to be in a calorie deficit regardless of how you achieve it or what you call it. So I had a patient named Leslie, all right? Leslie comes in to me one day. He's like, Dr. Allo, what is the best diet for me? All right, and he's a guy. There's a Leslie, he's a guy. Don't judge, all right? <laughs> so I was like, Leslie, you know, it's called the Leslie diet. He's like, what are you talking about? What's the Leslie diet? He thought I meant like somebody else. I was like, it's your diet, what you eat. He's like, what do you mean it's what I eat? I mean, that's what I've been eating. It's not working. I was like, I was like, and we'll get into the details. But I was like, listen, Leslie, you need to eat what Leslie likes to eat. What you've been eating for the last 50 years is most likely what you're going to be eating for the next 50 years. If I tell you just eat spinach and kale and quinoa for the rest of your life, sure, that'll work. But you're not going to do that. You'll do it for 10 minutes and then stop. Nobody is going to do that. So I told Leslie eat what you like and what you've already been eating, but it just has to be way less. And, you know, we'll get into the details, but that does actually work. He did come back to me like seven months later and he was down 70 pounds, by the way. Um, but anyways, fat loss depends on energy deficit only independently of the method used for weight loss. So they did a diet alone or diet combined with aerobic training, independent of the method for weight loss, the negative energy balance alone is responsible for weight reduction. So if you look at the totality of evidence, and this is just one of them, but the totality of evidence says, regardless of what you do, if you're in a calorie deficit, it doesn't even matter what you eat, you will lose weight. Um, if you keep calories and protein the same, and this was a study looking at low fat versus low carb versus whatever. If you have isocaloric diets, they're, they're both in a calorie deficit, but they're isocaloric, same amount of calories and same amount of protein, they lose the same amount of weight. Uh, this is the diet fits trial. Do you guys know what the diet fits trial was? You guys know Gary Taub? Gary Taub is a doctor. He's a journalist, actually, but he wrote a book. He wrote, he wrote a lot of keto books. You know, it's called, one of his books is called Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It or something to that effect, right? People send me books all the time to look at because it's what I do. So I read his book, and he created this organization with Kevin Hall, who's like a diet, you know, metabolic researcher, and Peter Adia. You guys know Peter Adia? Yeah, gives a TED Talks doctor, discovered he was diabetic one day and decided to lose a bunch of weight. Anyways, they wanted to, they hired the best researcher, which is Kevin Hall, on this topic. And they're like, we need to prove that keto is the best way to lose weight. All right. There's no other way to lose weight. Keto is the best. And Gary Taub's entire career and his $10 million industry is all built on keto. So he funded this study. They paid Kevin Hall and, you know, to do this. 
And they did a super, super low carb diet, like super strict keto, like less than 20 grams. And then compared it to like a low uh, fat diet. And they found there's no significant difference. If you're eating the same, if you're in the same amount of a calorie deficit, there's no difference. Doesn't matter what you ate or how much of it, but they were trying to prove that this is the way. And it didn't work. They have since uh, dissolved that institute. It was called the Neuro Something Institute. Peter Adia got out of it because like these guys are clowns. Um, And then Kevin Hall was like, you know, this is what the study showed. You paid me to come up with a very rigid, super amazing study. And they did. And it showed not what he wanted it to show. Um, Do you guys know who this is? Mark Howe? Dr. Mark Howe. Obviously, if you're reading this, he's the head of nutrition at Kansas State University. Right? That's who he is. Anybody know what this is? It's Twinkie. So what does Mark Howe have to do with Twinkies? Huh? It's his breakfast. It actually was his breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 10 weeks. All right? Anybody want to guess what happened? He lost weight. He was eating 2,600 calories a day. He ate 1,800 calories a day. He did make sure he got 100 grams of protein a day because he didn't want to lose muscle. So he did drink a 100-gram protein shake a day. But he ate uh, Twinkies, Oreos, Doritos, Little Debbie snack cakes, basically all garbage, unhealthy trash. And he lost uh, 28 pounds. It's actually 28 in 10 weeks. A 20% reduction in LDL, HDL up 20%, triglycerides down 39%. All inflammatory markers improved. The weight loss alone fixed most of his metabolic problems. Um, and this is not the N of one. Okay, this is just one guy. No, there are like thousands of studies that have shown this now. We'll, we'll, I'll show you that. Um, but this is, and this is, and it's a funny story. He was sitting at lunch with his colleagues, like kind of like we're sitting here now. And he was eating a Twinkie. And they're like, Mark, what are you doing? Uh, you told us you're going on a diet. He's like, I am. They're like, well, why are you eating a Twinkie? It's like, what's wrong with eating a Twinkie? They're like, how are you going to lose weight eating a Twinkie? It's like the guy who's criticizing me for eating cheesecake. Are you going to lose weight eating a Twinkie? He's like, watch, I will eat only Twinkies and I'm going to lose weight. And he's like, you can follow me around if you want to. So they did have an intern follow him around actually. And he literally ate only Twinkies and he lost 28 pounds in 10 weeks and everything got better. So the weight loss alone does that. And there's tons of studies that show this. Um, reduced calorie diets result in clinically meaningful weight loss, regardless of which macronutrients they emphasize. So they looked at diet, emphasize protein, fat, or carbs. And they've done tons of these diets where it's like 90% this and 2% that and 90% fat, 90% carbs, 90% protein. They kept doing all these different diets. They found it really doesn't matter. As long as they are isocaloric and it is a calorie deficit, you will lose weight. Um, another one, the specific composition of macronutrients, fat, protein, carbs in diets is not important for cardiovascular risk reduction as long as the diet is effective in causing weight loss. All of your cardiovascular markers improve as long as the diet has caused weight loss. Another one, and this was in rats, but when energy intake was matched, the very low carb, high fat uh, diet provided no advantage in weight loss or improving those components of the metabolic syndrome induced by dietary obesity and may delay loss of hepatic and visceral fats compared with the uh, high carb, low fat diet. Obviously, we don't you know, care that much about rat studies, but the funniest is when these like uh, people online are like, well, there was this rat study from 1965 that showed that you know, eating seed oils is dangerous for you and it kills you. I'm like, well, guess what? That was 70 years ago and we have human studies now, you know, that actually showed none of that, but we'll get into those too. So 
This study does not support the contention that a low uh, fat, low glycemic index diet, low glycemic index diet is more beneficial than a high glycemic index diet. If you matched pro, the match the total amount of calories, it doesn't matter if you're eating Pop-Tarts or broccoli as your carbs. If the calories match, it doesn't matter if it's high glycemic index or low glycemic index. I left a slide in here. I'm sure you got you guys are all doctors. You all know what glycemic index is. You know, the more processed something is, the higher the glycemic index. Eat a tablespoon of sugar, your blood sugar goes up by X number. That's a, a glycemic index of 100. You eat like a piece of asparagus and it barely moves. So that's all that is. Um, this study, uh, no evidence to support the effect of a reduced GI diet on satiety, energy intake, or body weight in overweight, obese women. Claims that GI of the diet per se may have specific effects on body weight may therefore be misleading. Another one, no significant difference in weight loss or insulin resistance. Low-fat keto caused several adverse metabolic and emotional effects. A lot of people drop out of keto studies because of the you know, emotional mind trauma, diet trauma, whatever you want to call it. And we'll talk about diet breaks later, but this definitely is not, didn't show anything. Do the commercial programs work or just cost a lot of money? These are like your Nutrisystem, Jenny Craig's, where they send you food. They can work, but the only one that actually has shown in studies to work is Weight Watchers. Um, but they can help. Some people just need a structured program. The problem is you're not teaching them how to eat what they like to eat. So, you know, once the food runs out or the $100 a month or actually it's $100 a week, once $100 a week food stops coming in, then what do you do? You just gain the weight back? Your dietary supplements and alternative medicine work. So, um, you know, these are like, have you, ever, you guys know who Mark Hyman is? Cleveland Clinic, actually, the guy who was here earlier. Mark Hyman, Cleveland Clinic, functional medicine guy. Um, you know, these guys are insane sometimes, like what they put out there. He puts out these videos and he's on YouTube and LinkedIn, and I don't know where you guys are on, but he's on social media putting out all this functional medicine stuff. It's like, oh my God, you know, if you eat like high fructose corn syrup and you do this and all that, it's like a neurotoxin and all this. And then you actually look at the studies and that's not actually true. Um, and we'll get into some of those too, but they've studied a lot of these things and they have found that they're, they didn't really help. And like I said, if there's a supplement that works, we actually turn into a medication to hopefully get rid of obesity. That's what we're trying to do. Um, what is the healthiest diet? The diet that has been shown to, re to reduce cardiovascular mortality and a lot of cancers, up to like 12 different cancers, has been the Mediterranean diet. Um, yes, vegan diets or more vegetable, plant-based, whatever the guy was calling it the other day, plant-based diets do reduce cardiovascular mortality too. Every time somebody has switched from a uh, meat-type diet to a more uh, plant-based diet, you will reduce cardiovascular mortality. But the one that has been proven overall to do it the most, without question, multiple studies, and I have three of them, is the Mediterranean diets. I'm sure you guys know what that is, like lean meats, not like eliminating meat, but lots of fruits and vegetables and the antioxidants that go with that and beans, legumes, nuts, all that kind of stuff. Same thing here, also significant reduction in new uh, cancers and overall mortality. Same thing, Mediterranean diet. Um, and another one results showed no significant weight loss Oh, this is different. This is a random trial comparing low-fat and low-carb diets matched for energy and protein. Again, no difference in weight loss, lipids, serum insulin, or glucose differences. It doesn't matter what you're eating as long as weight is coming off. So cardiovascular risk. Regardless of what macronutrient breakdown you use, if you are losing weight, all of your cardiovascular risk factors improve. So again, it's the weight loss alone. So a lot of people are like, well, you know, they did a study on keto. And it showed that your inflammatory and cardiovascular markers improved. Sure, if you lost weight, now do a study on keto where they don't lose weight, nothing improves. Same thing for intermittent fasting, same thing for paleo, whatever. 
Um, is there such a thing as an anti-inflammatory diet? Read Tom Brady's book. It's literally insane what you know he considers inflammatory. Um, Tom Brady's diet is uh, an inflammatory elimination diet. It turns out it's all bogus. There's no research that shows that anything you eat reduces inflammatory markers by itself. And people complain, well, I have leaky gut and the gut microbiome and all that. The gut microbiome is still emerging, but there's no evidence that like tampering with it or anything is still is going to cause more or less uh, weight loss. The amount of calories you can extract, like if I eat an orange and he eats an orange, I may extract all 70 calories out of it. He may extract only 68 because his gut microbiome and intestinal flora is a little different than mine, but it's not like a whopping amount that's like significant. Um, so this is also an inflammation diet. I'm not going to go through all these. There's a bunch of them. They actually have a whole list of them too, but you don't, you can read more about it, but there are no diets that are reducing inflammation unless you lose weight. If you lose weight, your inflammation goes down. What about intermittent fasting? So they've done studies on intermittent fasting because a lot of people think intermittent fasting is superior. Oh my God. The only way to lose weight is intermittent fasting. It's that guy that reads the one book. You know, the only way to lose weight is intermittent fasting. It has all these amazing things. Well, they've studied it compared to non-intermittent fasting that's isocaloric. You eat 1,800 calories a day all throughout the day. You eat them all at once. Any difference? No, they are not superior. They don't cause any superior weight loss. You lose the same amount of weight if they are matched. Um, same thing again, intermittent fasting again. Um, and there's tons more studies. This stands for continuous eating restriction versus intermittent uh, eating restriction, energy restriction. Um, the problem is that diets cause eating disorders, especially very restrictive and rigid ones, low carbs, ketogenic, intermittent fasting. The more restrictive and the more rules you have in your diet, the more eating disorders or either or disordered eating patterns you begin to display. They've done studies where they, you know, do these surveys and ask people questions. There's disordered eating, the more crazy and strict your diet is. So I don't know, there's a lot of this stuff about seed oils. People are like, oh my God, you're eating seed oils, canola oil. And they're like obsessed with canola oil. Like, oh, you know, anybody who eats this. And you got these guys going through the supermarket on these, you know, videos like, look at this stuff. It's all garbage. This is going to kill you. How about science? 31, 31.9 years of follow-up. Circulation, my magazine, my journal, cardiology. 32 years of follow-up, basically. All right, people who use seed oil, especially canola, actually improve their cardiovascular mortality. And there are literally hundreds of other studies on this exact question. The good thing is we have science now and we can test these exact questions. Like you don't need to listen to some crazy guy in a grocery store holding up a thing of canola oil and saying, you're going to die if you drink this. This is supposed to be motor oil for cars. Literally, that's what they say. Um, but luckily, we have science that can actually test these things now, and we have answers. So, no, seed oils do not cause inflammation or any craziness. They actually reduce cardiovascular mortality. Um, so what about red meat? <laughs> this is my department. People are like, well, you know, and, and it's funny, like all these people that love red meat are like trying to find a study that says red meat is good for you. There's no study ever published that shows that red meat does not raise your cholesterol. All right. You can still eat red meat and I'll tell you why, but there's no study that ever been done on red meat that shows that it lowers your cholesterol. It always raises it, but that's not the problem. So um, 
people are like, well, LDL only correlates with cardiovascular disease. How many guys hear these people? They're like, you know, you can, you know, who told you that LDL causes heart disease? You know, like we have like over a hundred years of research. And so these people wanted to answer that exact question. They're like, you know, all these people say it correlates, you know, the higher LDL it correlates with heart disease. So I tell them like, if you are driving a Porsche, 150 miles an hour at night in the dark by yourself, somewhat drunk, that doesn't cause death, but it highly correlates with death. Is that something you want to be doing every day? Probably not. So these people wanted to answer that exact question. And it turned out that yes, LDL causes heart disease, atherosclerosis. And there's tons of studies on this. I'm not going to go through all of them because I don't know how much time we have. Um, but tons and tons of studies. And all of these are literally like uh, meta-analysis. They're, they're looking at like 97 studies, 29 studies. Um, you know, all of these are studies showing long-term exposure to high LDL or cholesterol is what causes atherosclerosis. And we should actually be treating it from a younger age. My, my youngest patient is 15 years old. It's a funny story. The mom brings in the 19-year-old. He's like, hey, you know, they told us she has high cholesterol. She's like, how high is high? It's like 600. Oh, Yes, you definitely have high cholesterol. <laughs> you have familial hypercholesterolemia. And I go through this whole thing with them and she's on Crestor and, you know, it got better. I was like, hey, by the way, and you guys should do this. Do you have any other kids? It's autosomal dominant. She's like, yeah, I have a 15-year-old. I'm like, you need to bring her in. She's like, what? I was like, well, at least get her cholesterol checked. You don't have to bring her in, but check it. Two weeks later, she was in. <laughs> she's back with the 15-year-old whose cholesterol was even higher. It was like 700. So please, if you have Patients with a genetic disorder ask the parents or maybe the patient himself, do you have siblings or do you have a brother or a sister or your own kids? It's autosomal dominant. It's not a joke. 75% of your kids will have it. So she brought in the other daughter that, you know, a week later. Um, so they have found that if you are overweight, red meat definitely skyrockets all your stuff, right? No question. Not. But if you correct for BMI, people who are leaner and have lower BMIs, they can get away with a little bit more red meat, all right? Now, I'm not saying you got to go wild with this, but if when you correct for a BMI, people who are less overweight and leaner can get away with more uh, meat. Another study was done where they looked at inflammatory markers because, you know, you can't really look at cardiovascular mortality over a 40-year you know, period. It's kind of hard to do. But they looked at inflammatory markers, and when they corrected for differences in BMI, the association between red meat and inflammatory markers were no longer significant but the association between BMI and inflammation works. So I said the number one, the number 20, the top 20 ways to reduce inflammation is to lose weight. Um, so if you are not as overweight and your BMI is more normal, the amount of inflammation uh, or the effect of red meat and saturated fat on you is less, lessened. It's attenuated. It's not like gone. It's just less. And they did a similar thing with almost 500,000 people in the UK where they came up with a similar conclusion. Um, Long-term weight maintenance and cardiovascular risk factors are not different following weight loss on carbohydrate-restricted diets, either in monosaturated fat or protein in hyperinsulinic men. So it's another study basically showed that the risk factors, regardless of what kind of fat or how much fat versus high protein you're eating, is not a problem. Seems like when you eat that much protein, you're going to get heart disease. So this is a Finland study. Anybody know what this is? So North Karelia, Finland, 1972, they had the highest cardiovascular mortality in the world. 700 people for every 100,000 would die of cardiovascular disease. These were rural area. It's about 300,000 people. 
and um, they ate butter, bacon, cheese, eggs, you know, all that stuff, tons of saturated fat, right? So Finland decided we can't have this. This is insane. You know, almost 700 people are dying per 100,000. It's a lot of people dying. It's the highest mortality in the world at that time. So, okay, let's go in. We're going to educate everyone. We're going to teach them. We're going to follow them up. And it actually still follows up to 2018. We still have more data from the Finland study. They reduced, most of the men had really high blood pressures. They were, you know, a lot of people were smokers, obesity, overweight, and all that. They actually started by reducing fat, saturated fat intake. But you know what? Let's just reduce saturated fat intake. They were eating, they were eating 23 to 24% of their total calories from saturated fat. And they got it down to 10%. And you had a 84% reduction in cardiovascular mortality. Like that's insane. Um, some of it was due to the, they said 20% of it was due to the reduction in blood pressure. More people actually got obese and same amount of people smoked. In fact, in women, more people smoked, but you had basically re reduced saturated fat and a little bit, you know, they rolled their blood pressure a little, and that's what you ended up with. Um, you guys can read the rest of this later, but 84% reduction in total uh, mortality. Um, again, this is that same summary, cardiovascular mortality and inflammation and risk factors all improve with the weight loss, regardless of what you actually eat. So yo-yo dieting, I'm just going to play this graphic. So this is your fat weight and this is your lean body mass. As you diet, you will lose lean body mass and fat, mostly fat. But as you start yo-yo dieting, you gain back more fat. That's why people that are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm on a diet and then I'm not, and then I gain it back and then I'm on a diet and then I gain it back. You are becoming super efficient at storing fat. All right. And they've done studies on humans where you reduce calories. Um, metabolic rate goes down, lean body mass goes down, fat mass goes down, but then you get lean and then you start regaining and you know, all that stuff goes back up again. It becomes harder and harder in rats. It's been shown that the first time you diet, you lose weight at one times the rate, you regain it twice as fast, lose it at half rate again, and then you regain it three times as fast. Um, so we don't want to be like bouncing around between calorie deficit, then calorie surplus, then calorie deficit, then calorie surplus. That's how you get very, very efficient at getting fatter and fatter. Um, so why diets fail? Lots of reasons. People don't like calorie counting. Like, you know what? This is too complicated. A lot of my older patients, I'm like, can you download an app? And I'll sit down with them and be like, hey, can, let's download an app. Let's just start tracking. Some of them, you literally just take a picture of your food. I think Lose It does that, where you just take a picture of your food, and it kind of gets you an approximation of how many calories you, you consumed. Some are expensive, like these people that are paying $100 a week to have Profile or Golo or whatever it is, send them food or pills or whatever it is. Um, some are too complicated, too extreme. Some are unhealthy. Like you can drink just water for three months, you lose weight, guaranteed. But you may also die. Like, that's not a good solution. Um, it might not be a good fit for you. If you like bread, not eating bread is not going to work for that long. Um, you're fighting against your set point, which we'll talk about. Um, some people lose interest after they plateau and adapt. If you're eating 1,800 calories a day, you're losing weight, you get stuck at 200 pounds, and you're not getting through, you kind of lose interest. Yeah. So I'll, re I'll repeat this, but she says the, another big deal is the all or nothing mindset. It's called dichotomous thinking. You're either on diet or off diet. And the problem with that too is it messes up. If, 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 if I'm here today and I'm no carbs, but I ate a muffin, oh, that Fs up my whole day. Like, oh, I'm just going to go eat whatever. So for the rest of the day, you'll be off diet because you messed up by eating one muffin. 
Um, but yeah, the all or nothing dichotomous thinking where either all food is bad or, you know, pizza is always unhealthy. Ice cream is always bad or either on diet. I actually have a, a whole bunch of YouTube videos on people who are either all in or all out of their diet. Um, on YouTube, actually, if you go to weightlossplaylist.com, if you type that into any browser, weightlossplaylist.com, it'll take you to my YouTube weight loss playlist, which this lecture will end up on. But all the lectures I've ever given uh, on weight loss are on there. It's called weightlossplaylist.com. Um, sometimes the calories are too low. How many of you guys are like, I'm only eating 1,200 calories a day and I'm not losing weight? There's a reason for that because it's like, what a seven, eight year old should be eating. You're an adult, you should not be eating that many calories. Um, this is Dr. George Blackburn from Harvard. He spent 35 years studying obesity and weight loss and wrote a book about it. it took him four and a half years to write the book. It's, it's a good book. Um, in it, he talks about the set point in the Vermont prison experiment, Minnesota starvation studies. I'm not going to go through these, but you can read them. The biggest problem is trying to get to, is the fight to keep weight off, right? A lot of us and a lot of our patients have lost weight, but the fight to keep it off is the problem. Metabolic adaptation is one uh, part of it. What is metabolic adaptation? Your total daily energy expenditure, resting metabolic rate, and basic metabolic rate goes down and can stay down for a very long time. Like the Biggest Loser contestants, they take these Biggest Loser contestants, they put them on an intense exercise program for 12 weeks, and they barely eat anything, like 800, 1200 calories a day. They lose like, I don't know, 100 pounds, whatever it was. They found that when they test these people six years later, even though they've gained a lot of their weight back, Six years later, their BMR, their total BMR, like their, their basic metabolic rate, is depressed by up to 28%. So their resting metabolic rate or total daily expenditure is 28% less than predicted for their given body weight, age, sex, and height. Um, metabolic adaptation is a genetically programmed self-defense mechanism to ward off starvation, enhance weight gain and storage, and reduces the chance of future diet success and enhances future weight regain. So this is your body's way of trying to not keep yo-yoing and losing weight and, and going crazy. It fights you to stay at its same weight. This is why the person eating 800 calories a day may or may not be losing weight because of some of this. Um, there is a buffer of calories of about to two to 300. So if I'm eating 1,800 calories a day to lose weight, if I eat 200 more or 200 less, my body will keep me about the same because it can buffer your need. Need is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, like me walking, using my hands, shifting the steps a day that I do, your body can downregulate your needs and make you not do as much of that so that it can, you know, end up keeping you at the same way. If you eat 200 calories more, your body can increase your need by 200 and you stay the same way. And same thing the other way around. So the keys to fat loss, and this is kind of like what it comes down to without getting into like the, uh, the details, which we'll get into. You want to keep calories as high as possible while still in a deficit. So if you track your calories for a week and you're eating 3000 calories a day, you don't want to drop to 1200. Like why? You know, you could just subtract three or 400 from the 3000 and still lose weight. And the more calories you're eating and still causing weight loss, the better. You don't want to subtract just 100 to 200 because then the weight loss is very imperceptible and you might lose interest. Like you're losing 0 0.4, 0 0.3 a week, you know, something very imperceptible. You're not going to stay interested. It is better. The slower you lose weight, the more likely you are to hang on to your lean body mass. Slow maintain weight loss to protect lean mass. The slower, the better. Do not lower fat too much. Your body can make testosterone and other hormones out of what you have. So, I mean, I wouldn't obsess over this one. Um, don't crash diet. Actually, you do need a calorie deficit. You need to keep protein higher. We'll get into the calculations. Strength train hard. No, I mean, don't go crazy. But if you lift weights, you will maintain lean body mass. You'll be sending a signal to your body that I need these muscles. 
much easier for your body. Like you see these marathon runners, you know, they run like 26 miles, whatever it is. They end up getting very, very lean and almost no muscle because muscle is an expensive tissue. It is one of the most metabolically active and requires a lot of energy to upkeep. So these marathon runners adapt to like having very small muscles. Um, refeeds and diet breaks we'll talk about, but the more you, the, they found that if you take more diet breaks, and by diet break, I don't mean going crazy. Like, you know, you're eating, you add back a few more calories and just maintain your current weight for a few weeks and then go back at a diet. Um, you're more likely to retain uh, lean body mass. This is a Matador study. It's exactly what we just said. They took diet breaks. They did end up losing the same amount of weight, but retained more lean body mass. And I'll let you guys read the, the details. He's going to make it so you can download all this. And like I said, I'll, I usually put it on my website. Actually, all of these studies, almost in this exact order, are in my book. I brought three of them. You guys can have them. Um, keeping weight off, they have found, and this is the key. This is like, how do you become part of that 5% that doesn't put the weight back on, right? These are the studies that go with these. Sustainability and adherence. People who have kept the weight off and not gained it back uh, over the you know, five years are people who had some kind of cognitive restraint. And it can be either calories, time of day, you know, some, some sort of like mental restriction that you, that you were able to establish and keep. Like you don't, like sort of like the willpower that she was talking about earlier, but some way of maintaining some sort of restraint. Um, number two is some kind of self-monitoring, whether it's like how your pants fit or what the number on the scale says or what you look like in the mirror. I don't know. There's some kind of self-monitoring. If you are somehow every day reinforcing that you're doing fine or like not every day, but like even once a month, you know, don't obsess over the scale. But like even if you're just, you know, some way of like knowing it's working. Um, regular exercise, not because the exercise itself causes a weight loss, but because you've developed kind of like a healthy lifestyle kind of habit. I wake up at 5 a.m. every day. I go to the gym. You're less likely to go to, to overeat if you put in an hour at the gym every day, right? Like, what's the point of going to the gym if I'm going to go eat 10,000 calories that day? You're less likely uh, to do that. Structured programs, they have found, uh, do cause long-term keeping the weight off. And it doesn't matter what that structure is. A lot of these are also kind of structured, but structured programs do uh, help. Um, and then the ability to focus on long-term goals. This is like, you know, I'm not trying to lose weight for my wedding tomorrow because that's insane, but I want to maybe get 30 pounds off over the next year, year and a half, whatever it might be. The longer-term goal, or I want to be there for my grandkids, or I want to be there for my kids, or I want to be able to run around and play with my teenage boys, like, you know, whatever it might be, um, you have to be able to focus on some sort of long-term goal. Um, what happens when you get into a plateau? A lot of people lose interest. Like, oh, I got stuck. I'm at 184. Can't get through 184. What am I going to do? I tried everything. Well, you want to reduce your carbs and fat by a little bit and maybe increase activity a little bit. Um, and the thing is, when you're at a really high calorie count, we have room to go down. If you're eating 2,500 calories a day and losing weight, we can go to 2,200 or 2,300. But if you're at 1,200, or like 800, like I'm telling you, that's like what five-year-olds should be eating. 800 is really, really low. Um, so that's why we say keep your calorie count as high as humanly possible while still losing weight. First of all, you preserve muscle mass. Second of all, we have wiggle room. If you get stuck at 184 and you're eating 2650 a day, we can get it down. Um, the problem is life revolves around food. Everything we do has some food thing. Hey, let's go out. Where? We're not going out hiking. We're going to eat. You know, like, hey, let's go out. And, you know, there's a wedding. There's a graduation. There's a funeral. 
everything has food involved. And that like triggers our reward and dopamine and, you know, reward centers. Anyways, uh, this, these are the, you guys know a lot of these, this is what triggers satiety, hunger, eating, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of the medications we give people cause weight gain, especially proxetine. Any of you guys have people on proxetine? I'm sure you do. I am a cardiologist. I hate changing people's psych meds, but if it's, if it's this one and they're pretty overweight, I will. I'll try to, or I'll send a letter back to the family or psychiatrist and say, hey, pick something else, unless it's like the only thing that's working. Um, but the other problem is we have patients on medications that have a side effect of weight loss. So how many patients take metformin, uh, but also take, I don't know, renitidine, or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, we have, we have to like do a biopsy almost and look at patients' medications to see are they on some things that have a side effect of gaining weight and something that have a side effect of losing weight. So these are some things that cause weight loss as a side effect. Um, these are the current weight loss medications and we'll go through all of them. Some of them, no one really uses. I mean, I'll tell you which ones I use. For some of these, like in Ohio, anybody, anybody not from Ohio? Okay, in Ohio, uh, some of these are a controlled substance, like especially uh, fentramine. Um, but you have to have a BMI over 30 or 27 with at least one risk factor. And you have to see the patient face-to-face -face and write them a handwritten prescription for fentramine. The rest of these, no. Zenical, you can buy over the counter. It just causes less fat absorption in your guts. People have oily diarrhea sometimes. Um, Adifex is the one I actually use the most. Now you guys are like, well, you're a cardiologist. What are you doing? Doesn't that cause like pulmonary stenosis or heart valve issues and all that? It used to uh, in the past when it was, you know, mixed with fenfluramine. This was the fenfen. -fen. You guys remember fenfen, -fen, 1980s, 1990s, caused holes in your hearts and valve disease and all that. Now they've taken out, obviously, fenfluramine and dexafenfluramine. Doesn't cause that anymore. The nice thing about Adipex is it actually raises your metabolism. It's literally like being on crack. Um, and patients like that. They're like, oh my God, I can do everything. I vacuumed everybody's house up and down the neighborhood five times before breakfast. Like it is a very um, stimulant type medication. Um, the people are like, well, he's on blood pressure meds. Can I put him on fentramine? Yeah, you can just make sure you, you monitor it. And after the first three days, those like hyper effects aren't really there anymore. It's kind of like caffeine. Somebody hasn't drank caffeine in a week. You give them some caffeine. They're like, oh, they're like going crazy and jittery in their blood pressure and their heart rate tachycardic. But after a few days, it doesn't really do anything. So same thing with this. Um, you can only be on it in Ohio for three months and then you gotta be off for six and then you can go back on it again. Don't know why. When I was in Chicago, we could be on it forever. Um, but probably better. And But those three months, you, like every month, they have to come in face to face. You have to see them, evaluate them and rewrite them a handwritten controlled substance uh, prescription. Um, Casimia is a combination of fentanyl and Topamax. This version of it is low dose. You do not need... Uh, the monthly check-ins. You can put them on this forever. Um, very, very similar. I have prescribed people Topamax by itself to kind of see if it works. Um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, Bontril, we don't really use. It's this, The effects are similar to Adipex. Adipex has been around forever. It's super cheap. Same with this, but Adipex is just uh, a better option. But it works basically the same exact way. Um, Contrave is a naltrexone-bupropion combination. Yes, Wellbutrin. I've put people on Wellbutrin for smoking cessation and weight loss, and it does work by itself. Um, it knocked out your reward center in your brain, so you don't feel good when you smoke or you know eat. The two hardest habits to break are what? Nicotine 
I have patients that quit smoking 40 years ago and there isn't a day that goes by that they don't think about smoking again. Nicotine is the single most addicting substance known to humanity. Um, worse than crack, cocaine, heroin, pain pills, alcohol, anything is the single hardest. That's why I have a job actually. If people didn't smoke, I, you guys could probably take care of the rest. Um, but generally speaking, it is the single hardest. And the second hardest thing is calories. People love eating for the same reason. You get this um, reward. It triggers a reward thing in your brain. Um, now, these are newer, and these are amazing. All right, this is the semaglutides, liraglutides. You guys know Saxenda, Bayetta. Bayetta's been taken off the market, but these are like, you know, the Ozempics or Belsis, Wegovi. Um, these are your, your GLP-1s. There is a GIP. This is the uh, glucose-dependent insulinotropic polypeptide. This is Monjaro. It's new. It was approved back in February or May for type two diabetes. They're trying to get it approved for weight loss because it actually causes um, the most weight loss out of all of these. Um, I think I have those studies. So this is semaglutide. This is your Ozempic and Repelsis and, and Wegovi. Um, the injection form is Ozempic and Wegovi and the pill form is uh, Repelsis. There was a shortage because it's like super popular because everybody wants it, but it, it was hard to uh, get for a while. But now I think it's back to normal. Um, so people look at this, this study and, and, you know, there's all these critics out there. Everybody's a weight loss expert. You see these people on uh, Instagram, like, why can't you just tell your patients to eat less and exercise? Guess what? That study was done. The placebo group ate less and exercised. That's literally what this study was. They ate less and exercised. They lost about four to 6% of their body weight. Um, the group that also got semaglutide lost 18-ish percent of their body weight. So that study was done. But I love how these people are like the best critiques. Like, why are you just pushing pills? First of all, it's an injection. But second of all, we studied that. It's exercise plus diet. That was the placebo group. And the other half got, did that plus got the medication. Um, and this is just the New England Journal study that showed all that. Um, and this is more of it. Um, Munjaro is new. You'll notice that they tried different uh, doses and they actually found a 21% reduction in body weight. Same thing as semaglutide, the same basic, you know, protocols. Um, but they did have a significant amount of uh, body weight. I'll leave that for you guys. So back to this. Do you just start medications? No, at all. None of these patients that come to me say, I want, do you guys ever actually just treat patients just for weight loss? Do you have patients that come to you just for weight loss, nothing else? I'm a cardiologist, so they usually come for, to me for something else. But then we get into the weight loss thing. Um, anybody? Some people? A few people here and there. So this is what you should do. First, you need to teach them diet. All right, They need to learn how to eat right. I put people on Phentermine, which is the best medication that I've seen so far for this. And they're like, Doc, it worked. I lost three pounds. <laughs> no, it did not work. You would have said 30 pounds if it actually worked. So three pounds is not, it worked. Three pounds is like you had a bowel movement before you came in today and that worked. All right, that's not that it worked. Um, so first they need to learn to eat right. And I make sure that they are doing something. Um, for me, I think it's much easier if they eat what they like, it just has to be a lot less. They can either write it down. They can just visually look at it. A lot of my older patients don't wanna do apps. So I'm like, fine, take your breakfast, remove half of it, wait 20 minutes. And if you are still, if you're starving, because it takes 20 minutes for the vagus nerve and the you know receptors in your stomach to let your brain know we've had enough, right? Obviously, if you're pretty obese, the signaling isn't perfect. 
Um, but if you wait 20 minutes and you're still starving, go back and eat a little more and do that with every meal that works for some people that don't want to use apps. Um, we want to maximize a short time on drugs a lot of times because they're not allowed to be on it for that long. So I'm not going to put somebody on fentramine right away and they didn't learn how to eat. And then three months later, I take them off and they didn't learn how to eat. And now they gain back 60 pounds instead of, you know, whatever it is. So make sure that they learn how to eat within their limits, demonstrate that they can lose weight. And then I'll give them this, or I wait till they hit a plateau maybe, or they get stuck, or they just need like a little boost. And we'll put them on some fentramine. Um, Frequent physician visits for some of them. And if it's a weight loss patient, I usually like to have them come in, not just the fentanyl people, but almost everybody at least once a month because it holds them accountable. They know that they're getting weighed and you are going to tell them you lost five pounds or didn't. Um, social support helps. You can't quit smoking if your spouse is still smoking in the house. Same thing with diet. Phone apps, my fitness spouse, my favorite one. It, it works the best. I can actually friend them on it and watch what they're eating if I wanted to. I don't do that with a lot of people. Um, you have to give them resources. If they weigh themselves daily and put it in my fitness pal, you can actually see it. And some kind of accountability with them coming in a lot makes them more likely to do it. So the goals of a perfect diet is some of the stuff we've already talked about. It needs to be like free, not expensive, not too many rules, not that restrictive. It needs to be something they can do. And as we've shown that no matter what they follow, I'm very diet agnostic. You can literally do whatever diet you want. If weight is coming off, all your heart stuff gets better and all your health markers get better. It should be somewhat evidence-based um, and it should create a good relationship with food without them labeling food and they're always at war with food or their diet. So what do we tell uh, patients? This is what I tell my patients. Look, whatever you've been eating for the last 20 or 30 years, most likely what you're going to be eating for the next 20 or 30 years, just find a way to reduce it, whether you do that with an app or visually or some other way. Um, it has to be a lot less than what you ate before. Track with an app if you want to or a log or just something. Um, wait 20 minutes after you eat half your food. Don't feel bad if you mess up because you don't want to them to like feel like they're punishing themselves for messing up. You want them just to keep going. Adjust your calories over time. Like, yeah, if I'm eating, if I eat 3,000 calories a day to weigh 300 pounds, and then I start eating 2,500 and I lose weight and I get down to 250, now that 2,500 is no longer a calorie deficit for me. You will have to reduce that over time. And we'll get into the calculations. Um, start moving. If they move, it helps with appetite regulation. We talked about dysregulated appetite. Not because moving is going to create more of a calorie deficit. It might in the beginning, but long-term it's not. But just something to help you know, keep them with their appetite and keep them on track. If they're doing something every day, they're less likely to mess up their food because they're actually doing something that takes time. Um, keep doing this for the next 20 years. So diet. The best way to lose weight is to multiply your weight by 10. This is the cheat code. You want like the summary, the conclusion. Take your weight, multiply it by 10, you will lose weight. You're 200 pounds and you eat 2,000 calories a day. For the vast majority of people, you will lose weight slowly and sustainably, right? Super easy. Just take your weight and multiply it by 10. Um, to maintain weight is usually higher. Now, somebody says, well, if I ate 1,800 calories a day, I know I would gain weight. You are metabolically adapted, and that's a different uh, problem. Um, we can get into that. Um, you also want to make sure they get enough protein. Usually, we say about 0.7 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of lean body mass. So if somebody's 200 pounds, but you think their lean body mass is like 140, 160, have them eat about a gram, 140 grams of protein per day. That usually works. Um, they've tested much higher doses of protein and much lower. This seems to be that there's no additional benefit and you can improve muscle protein synthesis, which if they're like working out or lifting weights, they will put on muscle or at least not lose it because it's hard to put on muscle in a calorie deficit, especially the leaner you get. Um, the rest of their calories can be any combination of carbs and fat, literally 
doesn't matter what else you eat, as long as you're getting this amount of protein, which is not, you know, multiply that by four for total calories, like 100 is 400 calories, 100 grams of protein is 400 calories. Um, again, protein being high helps with satiety, and it is likely what causes more weight loss on higher protein diets. Calories out, I said, it's very hard to fix this. Very, very difficult to significantly change it. Um, body recomposition we talked about. So my fitness pal is super easy setup. Set up an account. It can be free. Do not pay for the paid version. Although they are trying to stuff it down your throats now. They've like made a bunch of app updates. So I don't know. Um, you do not connect your fitness tracker. If your watch says you did 10,000 steps today, don't eat back 500 calories worth of, you know, whatever you think is equivalent to 10,000 steps. It will try to do that. Do not connect your fitness tracker. You want to create the calorie deficit without the exercise. It needs to be just that. Because like I said, exercise is very hard to measure. We don't even know really how much you're actually burning with exercise. Very hard to figure that out. Switch the goals to 40, 40, 20 for protein, carbs, and fat. That puts most people at about the right amount of protein. So if I'm 170 pounds and I change it to 40, 40, 40, it'll give me about 150 to 170 grams of protein a day. Start tracking for four weeks. And this is before I tell them, like, lose weight. Like, this is just track your calories for four weeks and then show me. Or if you added me on there, I can see it. Then we will adjust it up or down. If they're eating 3,000 calories a day and they're maintaining their weight, their weight hasn't changed, we'll drop by three to 500 calories. And these are just some pictures of the app. If you're not losing weight, you get stuck, start weighing your food. I mean, this is like way overboard and like super precise. These are like for my bodybuilder people that want to get to like 5% body fat. You, none of us have to do that. You're just guessing. And the thing is, I tell my people, it doesn't matter if it's inaccurate. If you guess that that chicken breast is five ounces and it's really eight, it doesn't even matter. Because if you're not losing weight, we just reduce your calories a little in the way that you track. It still works. You're still guessing that's five. We reduced your calories a little. No matter how you're tracking, as long as you do it in a way that's consistent, this still works. So even if my patients are eating 2,000 calories a day, at least that's what they're tracking, but it's really 2,800 or only 1,700 still works because we're going to adjust it based on the way that you track. So don't obsess over being super precise. Um, the diet after the diet is the problem. Your new maintenance calories are lower. So when somebody reaches their goal weight, let's say you get to 150 pounds and you want to stay at 150 pounds, you don't still need to eat 1,700 calories a day. You can actually bump it up by 200 or 300. You can eat like 2,000 a day and now maintain that 150. Um, so maintenance calories are always lower. When we tell people to take a diet break, we increase their calories back up to maintenance. So if you're eating 1,700 a day to lose weight, you get diet fatigue, you're sick of it, you're always hangry and angry and whatever, you can bump it up to 2,000, eat that for two, three months, maintain your weight, and then we can drop it back down uh, again. You will gain some weight initially because your muscles are taking up glycogen and water follows glycogen. For every one gram of glycogen, you take up three ounces of water. So don't freak out with that first initial bump uh, of weight gain. Reverse diet is these people that are eating 1,200 calories a day, exercising like a maniac and not losing weight. They're eating 1,200 calories. They need to do a reverse diet. We slowly increase their, their calories over time, like 50 calories a week, till they get up to like, let's say 2,500. Their weight is going to go up a little, but we want them to maintain that 2,500 for a very long time, six months, a year sometimes. People who are these chronic dieters that are super low calorie, super high activity, very hard to reverse out of this metabolic adaptation. It could take up to two years. So we get them to slowly increase their calories over time to get their BM, they get their BMR or total daily energy expenditure like 2,500, 2,600. Have them stay in that for a year. The longer, the better. And then you drop it to 2,200 and weight starts actually coming off. So they're not stuck. And there's studies for this, obviously. I put all the studies. They are actually clickable. When you download the thing, you can actually click it and it'll take you to the studies. 
So weight regain, this is the diet after the diet or the metabolic adaptation. If you, the, the yellow line is fat, you lose a bunch of fat, you drop your calories. These are your uh, calories. You lose a bunch of fat. Now you want to go up to maintenance. If you suddenly go up on calories, the yellow line goes way up and your lean body mass uh, does too. But you don't want to put on a bunch of fat all of a sudden after doing all this work, right? Let's say you get to your goal weight and you, you want to like now reverse and get to a maintenance level. If you do it slowly in a stepwise fashion, you increase your calories slowly, 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 you can keep your body fat percentage lower um, than having it like suddenly skyrocket. So that's another tool. Um, the Macros Inc. macro calculator is my favorite one. It, seem, it seems to give most people the correct amount of calories, protein, fat, you know, ratios. Um, but it's called macrosinc.net. If you just go there, they have a macro calculator. Just put in fat loss, put in your info. It probably does the best job for this. Um, these are my two favorite weight loss books. Everybody's like, oh, you know, what, what books do you recommend? Like I said, if you go and pick up random books, you're going to get a lot of random stuff. But these two, Alan Aragon and Lane Norton, uh, fantastic books. Um, they are huge and thick, though. Like My book is 160 pages, and it summarizes everything we've talked about. And it's literally like 160 pages. Like, it's thin. These are like almost 400 pages each. One is like 600, I think. Lane Norton's is gotten thicker over the years. I have an older version, but these are like the encyclopedias of how to like lose weight in the way that we have discussed. They don't get too much into the details of the studies. They will list them and like the conclusions, but I, in mine, I have like all the studies because, you know, for me, it's, I think it's better. This is another book by Melody Schoenfeld and Susan Kleiner. This goes through every diet and says what's correct about it and what's not correct. Like keto, here's what the studies show about keto. Here's what the studies show about intermittent fasting. Here's what the studies show about Whatever. This is also a really good uh, book. They don't tell you what to do or what diet is best, but they give you the data and the science behind it. Now, the golden fat loss pyramid. Number one, your foundation should be a calorie deficit. Without a calorie deficit, nothing else matters. You can literally do everything else. You will not lose weight, maybe even gain. Next is protein. Make sure you're getting about a gram per pound. Lift weights so you don't lose lean body mass and maybe even grow muscle. Get some sleep and do some cardio for your health. Cardiologists would love that. Um, this is the fat loss fundamentals. Non-negotiable is a calorie deficit. Highly advisable, you know, getting enough sleep, making sure it's like more Mediterranean style, wholesome food, you know, healthy options, whatever, resistance training. Stuff most people don't need to worry about. Juice cleanses, the best diet, you know, supplements that make you lose weight and, you know, all this like craziness that you really do not need to do. All right. Um, stuff, okay. I'm not going to read that one, but stuff you really shouldn't do is like cheat meals, juice cleanses, you know, all this like horrible stuff that you see on all the social media stuff. If you just did this, literally, if you don't care about muscle loss and you don't really want to look like an amazing bodybuilder, you just want to lose weight. You literally could just eat in a calorie deficit and all your cardiovascular markers improve. And I told you, it doesn't even matter if it's just cheesecake. You know, you saw the Twinkie guy. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just eating 1,800 calories a day, but on the weekend they eat a lot and their average ends up too high. We did this one already. You will lose fat over time, but that doesn't mean the scale every day is going to always be down. There's water weight, there's hormones, people go on their periods, people eat too much salt, soy sauce, you know, sushi, whatever. Your weight will go up and down, but your fat is actually going down. It's just not something we can measure. Another guy talked about those fancy scales, to tell you all this stuff about body fat and metabolism and all that. 
those are not accurate. Those are just, it weighs you and you tell it how high you, how tall you are, and it makes up some BS based on your height and weight. It doesn't even send the impedance through your body, most of them. Um, this is just, you know, skip that one, skip that one. So this is my appendix, and this is also in the book. These are literally all of the studies that we've gone through about pretty much everything. This is like low fat versus low carb, um, studies that show articles demonstrating this, this, and that thing. You know, there's like literally tons and tons of study. Um, this one here shows sugar consumption has actually gone down over the years because a lot of people are like, oh, it's the sugar, it's the sugar. No, it's, it's not. Um, studies that show the sugar, high fructose, all the stuff, like, you know, all the myths that you find online that people are trying to sell you stuff is all in here that's, you know, not true. Um, Non-nutritive sweeteners actually cause more weight loss than water. People switching to diet drinks as opposed to, you know, water, it actually caused more weight loss than water. Um, these are my four kids. Um, this is a while ago. Again, this is how you can meet me. Now, since you stayed to the end, you get a free gift. If you go to dralnet slash free, put in your name and uh, address, you actually get a free digital copy of this and you get the audio book and a bunch of cool stuff. And like I said, if you donate 100 bucks to uh, NWOOA, you'll get a book. I'll personalize it for you. And I think the coolest one is actually the, the recipe book. Like I said, this is all heart healthy recipes. Like I said, you can go to like the 1800 chapter, for example. Well, here's the 2000. 150 grams of protein, like almost no saturated fat, super heart healthy, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you actually lose weight. Like, but I, I prefer food freedom. Eat the stuff that you like uh, instead and just make sure it matches the calories. But this is kind of a, a cool book. My mom's cool. You know, the last chapter is my mom's like secret recipes. Um, if you guys want those too. Any questions? Repeating them, don't worry. You don't have to run around. I mean, it's good for you, but. Talk briefly about Facebook. I went to a program a few months ago where you said, okay, this day, whatever, about people getting real focused on the animals, the food plus. And he said that you consume that food, consume that growth hormone, and therefore you'll get that. Is there so, any to that? So he's saying that a lot of people that eat growth hormone fed and injected animals will get fatter. That is not true. Almost all the food we've had is somewhat injected and modified. And, you know, people talk about, well, it's non-GMO. Like corn that is GMO actually reduces the need for uh, glycophosphate and, you know, Roundup and all that. And it actually has more nutrients. They've gen genetically modified organisms. Actually, a lot of them have more nutrients, and they've been used in, in developed countries that are poorer so that they can have uh, – more nutrient value in the less amount of it that you consume. And it actually has reduced the amount of insecticides or pesticides or herbicides that you use because they've been modified to survive better against ladybugs or whatever it is. So there's tons of studies on that too, but that's like another thing that these people are always talking about. Oh, it's GMO. It's so horrible for you or organic. Oh, go eat organic foods. Um, the studies between organic foods and non-organic foods, no difference in the amount of nutrients you absorb or use or any. Um, health markers. Any other live questions? Oh, can we do the online ones? Sure. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, can you come on, comment on lectins? Is it lectins? Lectins. L-E-C-T-N. Oh, leptins. Well, there, that is one of the signaling pathways for satiety and hunger. I don't have any comments on it other than that, unless he has a specific question for she. That's okay. Uh, do you prescribe Manjaro? Yeah, that was one of the 
medications we talked about. We had like a whole bunch of slides about it. Too. Maybe it was before Th these came in throughout your whole lecture. Oh, sure. So uh, if so, do you use for diabetic patients only? Yeah. So it's tricky because it's technically approved for diabetic uh, patients. Um, it is used for weight loss, similar to the other medications in that class. You can do it if somebody's pre-diabetic. Um, if they have metabolic syndrome or they're pre-diabetic or insulin resistant, you can. The other guy the other day was talking about, well, I don't know how to prove insulin resistance. Well, you can. You actually just get a fasting glucose or an A1C, and if it's not abnormal but slightly abnormal, they're insulin resistant. Thanks. There's a normal range for fasting insulin. You can do a fasting insulin, fasting glucose, two-hour postprandial insulin and glucose, you know, to show whether someone does have insulin resistance. A lot of people, even with an A1C of 4.9, are insulin resistant. You look at them, you know it. They have PCOS, you know, they have high sugar levels here and there. They have reactive hypoglycemia. Um, the Munjaro, I've had actually some enormous success with people who wanted to lose weight on it, but... And, and I used it in people who were pre-diabetic or I could say insulin resistant. Pharmacies um, are cracking down on that. I had someone fill a script, I think Wednesday or Thursday, and like later the same day, <laughs> the pharmacy said they cannot give it, not even with the um, coupon that commercially insured patients can use, they cannot give it at all without a type 2 diabetes diagnosis. So that's really, you know, already, I mean, you said it for three or four months, Whatever. already I'm not going to be able to. Technically, some of those patients. Know. You can put whatever diagnosis you want on these things. I mean, like I have prescribed people Florinef, and I put it down for syncope or right. orthostatic hypotension. I mean, it's not indicated. Not Actually, aspirin is not indicated for heart disease. Like it was never studied. Like they, when it first came out, like right now, even today, that's not like an official indication for it. Although it has like the best outcomes, you know, 82% reduction in heart attacks and strokes. You can't argue with that. It's like the no drug has 82% reduction in anything. Um, any other? <clears throat> All right. Um. So he's saying there's a third drug that might be coming out now in similar category. Okay. Uh, do you have any opinion on exercise program programs like Orange Theory? which are based on heart rate zones for different ages, et cetera, in order to burn fat. So the thing is, if you enjoy it and see yourself doing that forever, have at it. But if the problem is a lot of these things are not sustainable long-term. Like I always tell people, pick one thing that you like. If you like biking, go bike. If you like walking, go walk. If you like lifting weights, go lift weights. Anything that you like. But going and putting yourself through a torturous HIIT training, high-intensity interval training, for 45 minutes a day, three, four times a week, Yes, you're burning a lot of calories, but yes, also you will not be doing that 10 years from now or a year from now or three months from now. All right. Uh, I didn't get a good sense of whether you advocate for intermittent fasting. Can you speak briefly on whether... I'm diet agnostic. You love intermittent fasting and it fits into your schedule and that creates a calorie deficit for you. Have at it. But it's not intrinsically magical or superior to calorie restrictions of other forms. So you can do it if you like. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. Should you avoid foods with lectins like tomatoes? No. no. Yeah, we talked about that, the anti-inflammatory okay. diets. There's no evidence to support that. All right. Thoughts on the Lumen CO2 detector device? So there's all these things. Like this is this thing that you breathe into. You eat some food and then you breathe into it. And it tells you how much you should have eaten and what you should eat. I mean, 
like some people need a gimmick, all right? Like some people need those glucose monitors. Like, oh, I put these glucose monitors on. They're not even diabetic, but there are studies that have been done on continuous glucose monitors. They put the monitor on, they look at their phone. I ate this whatever cheesecake and my sugar went up this much. That's not a thing. Like that does not contribute to weight loss. But if that's like this cool trick, you know, some people just love technology. You just love technology and you want to see what all this crazy stuff does. You First of all, they're not even that accurate. Like diabetics are taught, do not depend on these subcutaneous, subdermal, you know, you know, whatever continuous glucose monitors. It gives you an idea, but it's not really that accurate. Um, but they have done studies on continuous glucose monitors or CGMs. They do not offer any superiority or benefit when somebody's just trying to lose weight. Um, people talk about insulin a lot, like, you know, Gary Tobbs and the keto people are like, oh, insulin, it's the carbohydrate insulin model. And you're, you're raising your insulin, which causes fat gain and all this. Look, if you're in a calorie deficit, whether you're eating high glycemic index foods or not, um, the insulin thing doesn't matter. When you eat food, regardless of its protein or fat or carbs or whatever, insulin's job is to get that food into your body. It's like oxygen. When you breathe air, your lung's job is to take the oxygen and put it in your body because you need oxygen. Like there, it's not like a crazy wild theory thing that, you know, we need to obsess over insulin and blood sugar levels. That's, it's not like, you know, we did all the studies on glycemic indices and how much it raises or lowers your sugar. It literally makes no difference if you're eating the correct amount of calories. Uh, one last one came in. Any opinion on the studies that show the benefits of grass-fed, uh, grass-finished beef? with regards to omega-3 fatty acids and very long chain fatty acids? So omega-3 fatty acids, like EPA especially, actually does reduce mortality and cardiovascular mortality. If there are some ways of finishing meats that makes it better, I'm all for it. Like wild-caught salmon, same thing. Most fish, same thing. Um, a lot of times people obsess over like little pebbles when they should be focusing on the big rocks. Like, you know, most of my patients and, and people that I talk to that are like, oh my God, did you you actually eat that? And it has this and it has that. Like they talk about all these mechanisms and chemical reactions and vivo and in vitro. And like they have all these like crazy theories, but you're eating 5,000 calories a day. This matters 99% more times than 0.05, whatever you're trying to, like these longevity experts, these biohackers and longevity experts. They're like, well, you know, took a little bit of metformin. You might add 8.2 days to your life. Like, but you smoke like, okay, sure. Metformin has some longevity or infrared sauna and like red light therapy. You know, you might add this many months to your life, but there are things you can do that can add like decades to your life. Like if you lose weight, your cardiovascular mortality goes down by like 40% sometimes, even more. That's way more than putting a little bit of red light on your thigh, you know, at the end of the night. I mean, come on people. There's like, stuff that you really should do that works. And there's stuff like out here on the periphery that may work if you've optimized everything else, right? Any other- One more questions? questions? Oh. Um, do you give much credence to muscle confusion as far as exercise goes? I mean, do you think it helps with metabolic rate as far as muscle, as far as caloric burn goes? So they've done studies on that. Muscle confusion is not actually- a thing. What actually matters is if you're sticking to your program, you can show progression. You want to do progressive overload. Like when you're lifting weights, let's say doing a deadlift, you do 300 pounds the first week, you add a little bit more a week later, that actually works. But confusing your muscles by doing a hip thrust the next day, thinking that's equivalent to a deadlift, even though it is kind of like almost the same motion at the finished part of it, 
it's not adding any more benefit. You can't show progress. Um, there's different ways to lift weights for strength versus hypertrophy versus endurance. Low reps of very heavy things increase your strength. Reps between eight and 12 make your muscles bigger. And then reps of like over 30 give you muscle endurance. Um, I have a whole exercise program. If you go to drallo.net slash exercise, you can download the program. It's completely free. It's a schedule. There's actually video demonstrations of yours truly demonstrating all the lifts and why we do them and like the whole philosophy. I believe in the five main compound lifts, bench press, deadlift, squat, overhead press, and hip thrust I threw in there too because it just helps with the, the glutes and the hamstrings. People don't do a lot of that. Um, it's a really good, it's, it's a whole other sign. I mean, we could have had like a 10 day conference on just weight loss and exercise and trying to squeeze it all in. Um, but there's, there's so much science behind it now. Like, like the amount of science that we have in the last just five to 10 years on weight loss, nutrition, and even different exercise modalities and how to optimize muscle strength versus muscle hypertrophy versus muscle endurance has just exploded. We have so much science, even within just the last five years on this. That's why we actually know. Like back when I first used to give these talks, it's like, well, we don't have the answer to that yet. Well, we really don't know, but we think, well, we really don't know. Now we know. Like we have answers to almost any question you can think of. And there's a few that we're still trying to figure out and sort out still. So this is a question about uh, chronicity or like the timing of even nutrition or weight training. There was a study that showed that doing weight training in the afternoon was better in the morning. But again, it's like you know, this much uh, difference. If you're not doing any weight training at all, the idea is to start. Um, that's how you're going to get the most benefits. Whether you do it in the morning or at night, just fit it into your schedule. I'm super practical and pragmatic. If, if wherever you can fit it into your schedule, just do it there. Same thing with nutrition timing, like all the studies I've done on, well, if you eat a little bit of protein after your workouts, or if you eat, you know, 50 grams of carbs, intro workout and all this, there's some small differences. And if you're like a, if you're like a bodybuilder is about to do a show and like that stuff matters because you're like 3% body fat and you're like, you know, that little tweaks makes a difference. But the vast majority of us, it's just do something and it will help. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, um, just one of the basic resources that I've found, and I, I don't know if you agree with this, but the, just the book Weight Loss for Idiots is actually, it does a really good basic guide for talking about things like, you know, basal metabolic rate and all those types of things, and kind of a lot of what you've gone over today, but it's it's a good resource for patients yeah. as well. So he's saying weight loss for idiots is a good starting point too. Any other, there's one in the back there. Calorie deficit. Is there ever a point to where like you look to stop that? And then if you do, what typically happens or what are you looking for? Like, obviously we, Wagovi, I've tried a couple of times, a thousand dollars a month. Um, like the other physician was saying, you know, difficult with insurance is getting recovered for primary care, but say we even, we are able to get it for weight loss or diabetes. Diabetes may be a little different story because not too many people lose the weight and cure their diabetes, but what do you do at the end of it? Do you have an end point for patients, not diabetics trying to lose weight? On so he's asking, just to repeat it for maybe the other half of the room, he's asking, what do you do when, when you want to get people off these medications? So to be honest with you, like I, I like I said, 
I usually try to get people to comply first and demonstrate that they can restrict uh, eating. And honestly, 90% of the time, they don't even end up on medications. Um, I've had to put a handful of people on them, but the way you get them off of it is, first of all, they got to reach their goal weight. I don't tell them what their goal weight is. I don't say, well, you're five foot 10, you're a million, you should weigh 175 pounds. No, like you're, they're in charge of how they want to look and what weight they want. And I don't judge them or tell them what those numbers are unless they specifically ask me, what should I weigh? I usually take their ideal body weight and add like 25, 30 pounds because there's no way a five foot two woman is going to get to 103 pounds. First of all, that's not even probably healthy because BMI of less than 18 and a half also has increased cardiovascular mortality. So what we do, like if somebody gets to their goal and it's fine, we will take we will take them off and tell them just keep doing what you've been doing and reassess. You can always go back. It's not like a permanent life-changing decision. And maybe now that they have developed the habits and the mental the mindset of like how much food is actually necessary for me and their appetite is more regulated, now they know about what 1800 looks like and they can eat 1800 going forward without tracking, without looking, without medication. So that's the hope. All right. Uh, you're you're going to be around for a little bit, right? Yeah. If anyone 